Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome into Hoopsville on this Monday afternoon. I hope you're ready to enjoy a good ba bit of basketball. I'm noticing we may have an issue on our Facebook stream, which is odd. It should be receiving us just fine. We're going to hit reload, as they say, and hopefully that one jumps in for us. If you've got any questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville, hashtag Hoopsville, email us Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com. Join us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. Lots of ways you can interact with us, and we hope you'll take advantage of those opportunities, just lost our easy chance to interact with you on Facebook. We will find a backup way to do that. Um, of course, WBCA, NABC, proud supporters of the Hoopsville show. This is the WBCA, NABC studios. Of course, presented by D3Hoops.com as well. Of course, we didn't air on Sunday evening, thanks to the fact that we were in Philadelphia at the Palestra for the Centennial Day there. And I probably can speak for most of us who were there, Ryan Scott and Gordon Mann and myself, and saying it was a wonderful event. Um, better than I think I expected. I, I, you know, I, I knew we would see some competitive basketball to some degree. Um, you hope you don't get any duds. You always hope that for a tournament. At the same time, um, we also hoped that we would get, um, you know, a, a nice crowd to show up and, and whatnot. And I think we did, I, you know, for the most part, until I think the last game of the night, um, we got a pretty good crowd on hand, um, to see the games, excuse me, uh, got a cold, <laughs> got a cold much of the year. Um, I mean, we got a good crowd. The last game, a, it started later. It was scheduled for seven 30. I think a lot of us thought it wouldn't, <laughs> um, but at the same time, um, we didn't expect it to go as late as it did, uh, because of the double overtime game in game number four, but again, it's a Sunday evening, even though it's right before the holiday, I think it's a little bit hard to expect. Suddenly we're going to get, um, a lot of people there, but we'll talk more about that in a bit. In the meantime, of course, top 25s are due out later today. I am still trying to look through my ballot. I've got my data information. I've got my old ba old ballot. I uh, saw a, at least one top 25 team this weekend. Actually, I saw two if you count the women. Though I don't count I don't vote on the women's side. I got a chance to see Muhlenberg women's basketball. I also got to see York men's basketball. Uh, top 25s usually come out around 5 or 6 in the evening Eastern time. There's going to be a slight delay today. Without going behind the scenes, there was just a snafu. Uh, so there's going to be a slight delay. Ballots are due later this evening now from our 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 voters. So you're going to have to wait until later tonight until they come out, um, including myself. I got to get my top 25 done. But of course, once again, you have craziness galore across the top 25, to say the least. And it's something that is fun. It also gets somewhat old as you start to lose your mind um to some degree uh hold on a second um I, I know a lot of people were impressed with Wittenberg I certainly was impressed with have been impressed with Wittenberg um I had here it is here we go so we already knew Augustana had lost Whitworth lost to Whitman we knew that Williams lost to Tufts on Friday we'll talk more about Williams later in the show River Falls lost to Oshkosh now I had River Falls um, higher than Oshkosh. I had just flipped them from the week before. So imagine my ballot uh, two weeks ago. I had Oshkosh fourth, and I had River Falls seventh. Last week, I had River Falls uh, fifth, and I had Oshkosh tenth behind Whitewater at nine. 
Now Oshkosh has beaten River Falls. You're right back into the square. This gets complicated. So I don't even know what I'm going to do with them. Uh, Swarthmore lost on Thursday to, I'm sorry, on Saturday. The whole week's a little bit confusing. Uh, Saturday to Franklin and Marshall. Of course, Franklin and Marshall had lost to Muhlenberg back on Tuesday. And so the Centennial, a little bit chaotic. Swarthmore and Franklin and Marshall are tied now atop the conference. They've got one more coming. That game will be at Swarthmore. Um, don't know what to make of that. I know Ryan's going to make a, a claim here on Swarthmore later in the show. We'll discuss it. But you know, Swarthmore now with their second loss of the season. There are other loss coming to York. I'm, I'm having trouble figuring out what to make of the Franklin and Marshall loss. We will uh, figure that out. By the way, I believe Glenn Robinson wasn't at that game either, though it was a home game. I guess that injury uh, a little bit more significant. I think he tried to, quote-unquote, play through it and was unable. Uh, Wesleyan lost to Hamilton. Hamilton, the big story right now. We plan on getting Hamilton on the show soon. I promise you, we have an East region coming up, um, and I think we'll probably go with them on Thursday. Uh, we're still working on those details, to be sure. Um, but I think that's where we're going to head. As Hamilton beat Wesleyan, uh, and then went on to beat Connecticut College 102-77. So it looks like Hamilton's having the season that they've teased us with in years past. They may be finally putting it together. Uh, Ohio Wesleyan lost to Hiram. We mentioned that at least they came back against Allegheny and I think maybe sent a message. They beat him 110-48. That's not a Mike DeWitt type of score normally. Wartburg lost late, uh, was it Friday night, against Simpson. Uh, so Wartburg kind of is going to have some people kind of Hemming and Hahn. We mentioned Franklin and Marshall lost to Muhlenberg, beat Washington College in a game that Washington College was at least competitive in. We'll talk more about the, the Shore, Shoreman in a bit, but Swarthmore then again defeated Swarthmore. And Baldwin Wallace, we mentioned on Thursday's show, took the loss to Ohio Northern. Uh, New Jersey City lost to Ramapo on the road in overtime. I think it was Sam Tony scored 42 points, first time since the 80s or 90s that somebody at New Jersey City has scored uh, that many points in a game, and apparently the most points scored in a road game by New Jersey City. Here's my issue here. I know that playing at Ramapo is difficult. I know winning, especially a conference game at Ramapo, is difficult. I get all of that. But Ramapo was ripe for the taking, if that makes any sense. Now, New Jersey City got a transfer. We mentioned that on Thursday's show. He apparently didn't play. He immediately got the flu. Maybe he doesn't want to transfer next time. But he got the flu and wasn't able to play. I don't know if that's a, a, a determining factor. Now, I was told when the other starter, uh, or a starter, I should say, didn't play as, as well. Again, hard to say, but in my opinion, if you're going to put a stake and put a claim on the conference, and you're going to make a claim in the top 25, and you're going to make a claim that the Atlantic, and you're one of the best teams in the Atlantic, I think you need to win that game. And the reason I say I think you need to win that game is a split is understandable, but I feel like Ramapo was ripe for the taking. If this was a Ramapo team that hadn't at one point lost three out of four, uh, I wouldn't have had the same opinion. But I feel like New Jersey City couldn't do what TCNJ did, and TCNJ did defeat Ramapo. Now, granted, on at TCNJ, and I get the differences there. But the New Jersey City or the the New Jersey Athletic Conference keeps talking about how tough it is to play, and I get that. But if one team is going to rise up and and stake a claim to what is going on in that conference and say that they are the best and say that they're going to be a national threat then you need to win those games. You need to go into a Ramapo and prove that Ramapo is beatable at home. 
Now you're going to have to win the game at home in this rematch between Ramapo and New Jersey City to at least keep things even. If you lose that one at home now, the conversation has completely flipped around and either Ramapo has finally figured things out and is the better team by far, or the New Jersey Athletic Conference again has this lack of being able to get over the hump. I don't know. I mean, we're reading a lot into it, I realize. But I just felt, especially with Tony going for 42, that was a game New Jersey City had to win. And they had them. They had the opportunity. And I feel like a loss doesn't do enough. There are moral losses. I get that. Uh, Just as there are moral victories. I just feel like New Jersey City missed a prime opportunity to to prove skeptics wrong, to prove just how good they are. Yes, you've proven the New Jersey Athletic Conference is competitive. We're used to that. That's nothing new for us. I just don't think we – I think we missed out on the other opportunities that came with it, if that makes any sense. I know that's a little hard. I'm I'm, I'm not really sure how I want to state what I'm saying, but that's kind of how I feel. So – Interesting development there in that. Um, Don't know what to make of it. We'll certainly keep an eye on that conference, to say the least. Um, In the meantime, uh, we keep going down through the men's top 25, and these are results that everybody's got to kind of keep in mind uh, this week. Um, Platteville lost River Falls. We mentioned that on Thursday's show. That certainly added a wrinkle. I had gotten Platteville onto my top 25. Now they lost to a higher-ranked team. Not surprisingly, uh, the game was close. Not surprising. They got past lacrosse, though, in tight fashion. It's going to get interesting in the WIAC. I don't know if I can really, really keep four teams on on my ballot from the WIAC. I really don't know if I can keep four teams from the NESCAC, but we'll get to that later. Uh, St. Norbert lost to Monmouth. I'll be honest. It's going to sound sh- uh, uh, harsh, and I, I apologize how it's going to come across. But I've been looking for an excuse to do something with St. Norbert. I've got them in the 18-hole. I've liked what they've done. I also don't like what they've done. I feel like they're a good team. They've got some wins I like, but they've also got some losses, especially at home, that are, are frustrating me. This feels like a loss that I can do something with. It was on the road in overtime. If they're as good as they are, they don't. Again, same conversation we just had with New Jersey City. They don't lose to Monmouth. And so I think that's going to be the excuse. I've, I've, been wait, I've had a week or two here. Now they're 11-3 and three now. Well, eleven and three with that loss, and then they went on to, to they beat Illinois College earlier, so they're twelve and three. I just don't think they're a top twenty-five squad. I, I had them at twenty-one. They floated up to eighteen. To be honest, um, I liked them at twenty-one. They floated at eighteen because of all the other movement I had in the ballot. But I'm ready. I, I think I'll be dropping the the Knights at this point. Uh, that loss just that now is a culmination of of issues that I've had uh, with my argument. Uh, Juniata actually had a heck of a game midweek with Goucher. We kind of breezed over that 64-53, but then they lost at Drew 75-74. I am not voting for Juniata, but that's now two losses in two weeks. Um, I, I do feel Juniata has been a little bit overrated. They haven't had a resume, in my opinion. Uh, you remember, I'm not the one who's voting for for Lycoming. I haven't. I just now recently started voting for Whitworth. I just recently started voting for... Um, uh, who was it? Swarthmore. I just don't feel Junior had as strong a resume as even those two teams. Um, and 
and now I think we're starting to see that. Drew's a good squad. I like Drew. I saw them last week. I think they've got some good pieces, but if Juniata, and this is that same conversation again, if Juniata is as good as other top 25 voters feel and their top 25 voting, previous voting uh, had indicated, they're now receiving votes, they win that game. Uh, I understand it's that true, but that's the challenge here. You can't just rely on your home schedule. You've got to win your games on the road um, to best position yourself. Skidmore, that's another team's going to come out of my top 25. I really like what Skidmore has for pieces, but apparently they're dealing with injuries, which I feel like is the same conversation we have every point at this point in the season with Skidmore. They're dealing with injuries and no one else is there to step up, I guess, um, or they don't know how to handle the injuries. Skidmore loses twice last week, once to Vassar, then they beat Rochester Tech, then they lost to Hobart. Not good. Uh, Skidmore is now 9-4, and four. not good. You, you basically have won about two-thirds of your games. Um, Skidmore is going to come out of my top 25 for sure. Uh, Christopher Newport, I saw them play at York. Uh, I was actually kind of impressed with Christopher Newport um, for a couple of reasons. One, that fight is still there. They're, they're still playing really darn good basketball. Uh, they are without Marcus Carter. Uh, McFadden, though, is playing. Though, to be honest with you, I didn't notice him. That's going to be a little bit weird to say, but I didn't notice McFadden that much. Uh, I don't know why. I don't have the top, the ballot, uh, the the final, uh, final box in front of me. I have the one from three minutes left to go in the game, and, and McFarland had seven points on two of fourteen shooting. He had two rebounds. He had no assists. He had a block and a steal. Nothing about McFarland blew me away. Uh, now Christopher Newport had to play most of the game with Femi, or most of the second half with Femi with four fouls, uh, but he was zero for two. He's more about leading and distributing, but he had one assist. Luther Gibbs and Spencer Martin and Clutch Ellis and off the bench, Savante Chapel, who was 6 of 8, granted most of that only in the first half. York did a really nice job adjusting to him. Those guys stood out to me more than the guys I expected to, and that's McFarlane and, and Femi. Um, so I like the fight Christopher Newport had. I just don't think they're right now built to be a real threat. Um, they may may split the season with York. Again, to the conversation I just had in New Jersey City, York and Christopher Newport will play the last game of the season. York's got to win that game at Christopher Newport to make a statement. I don't think they're going to need to win that game to hold on to the conference top seed and win the regular season. Barring nothing crazy happens between now and then, the next, what, five weeks? However... They've got to win that game at Christopher Newport. They just ended a nine-game losing streak to Christopher Newport with this win on Saturday. If they are truly as good as they are, and we'll talk probably more about them coming up with Ryan in, in the end of the show with our Top 25 segment, if York is as good as they are, they need to win that game now at Christopher Newport. Good start, now they need to finish. Uh, but Christopher Newport, I at least was impressed with. They didn't take as far a step back as I thought they would. That said, where was McFarland? Where was Femi? Um, they're relying now on new guys, which is good. They're showing some depth. They're showing some weapons. But if, for example, one of those weapons in Chapel or Chappelle can go out there and go six of eight from the in the first half, 
rack up 12 points and a rebound. And by the way, one rebound, to be honest with you, isn't that good because he's a pretty solid, solid player in the sense of size. He can't go and have an 0 for a second half. Now, he has 11 minutes here, and I will admit that I saw Christopher Newport adjust a little bit, and I didn't see him on the floor as much. I also don't think I saw him on the floor as much because he wasn't contributing as much in that second half. And again, that could be York's change of plans. It could have been Christopher Newport's change of plans trying to get into a game that they yo-yo. They had a nice start to the second half and, and kind of put York on its back foot. Looked like they could get past York on the score, and then York kind of put their foot down after a timeout, and it yo-yoed from there. You just kind of saw it constantly. So interesting from Christopher Newport, but uh, no reason to vote for him at this point. Worcester lost to Wittenberg uh, by 11. That game speaks more about Wittenberg. Um, I've got Wittenberg pretty high, and I haven't run into anybody yet who has seen them play who doesn't like what they see. I think Wittenberg has – somebody said it on the board, something I had indicated on Thursday's show when we talked to their head coach, Matt Croce. It didn't feel like this was supposed to be the year. It felt like they were building towards maybe next year or the following year, and that's a little hard to say in college basketball, I realize, two years out especially. And, the, and to have a target year is certainly hard. But it didn't feel like this team was ready for showtime this season, but that's where they were headed. And I think when in reality what we found out is they're ready for showtime now. Now, they've still got Ohio Wesleyan ahead of them on the schedule. I'm curious on how uh, Ohio Wesleyan will, will be up for that game. But Wittenberg at least knocking off Worcester is a good sign, and that game was at Worcester. So that's huge for Wittenberg. There's that point I'm making. They went and won the game they needed to on the road. Granted, with Ohio Wesleyan still to come. So hats off to Wittenberg. And again, that's not a statement on Worcester. I'm not voting for Worcester. If I was going to put Worcester into my top 25 ballot last week, I was going to have to add three other teams, and I didn't have that kind of space because I had results against common opponents that just it wasn't going to allow it to happen. Um, and same with Emory and some others. It just got convoluted. Um, Albright lost twice, lost to Lycoming, okay, then lost to Messiah in triple overtime, 101-100. Um, I think the truth of Albright is starting to be revealed, as it were. Augsburg lost twice. They beat St. Thomas, which was great, but then lost to Bethel and St. John's. Okay, they'd gone 2-1 and one and lost to St. John's. I like Augsburg, and I liked. I saw them in person. I like what I saw. And I'm not knocking Bethel here. Again, this is just one of those where if you need, you, you've got to get certain wins to stay in certain positions, and I think they needed to win that game against Bethel. Buena Vista... Looked like they were having a good season. Maybe it's Loris in the IAC. I told you the IAC race was going to be crazy this year. I've said it multiple times on this show. Univista brought Nebraska Wesleyan back to reality with their first, handing the Pioneers their first loss of the season. Univista looked like they were in tremendous shape, and then they lose to Loris. Well, Loris also beat Nebraska Wesleyan earlier this week. So Loris had a tremendous week with a 97 87 overtime win over against, against Nebraska Wesleyan and an 82 80 win over Univista. That IAC race is fascinating. The problem is they're going to eat themselves a little bit here, and they're probably only going to get one team into the NCAA tournament. But that one team is going to be darn good, and Wartburg showed that last year. So now we're talking Wartburg, now we're talking Buena Vista, now we're talking Loris, and we're talking Nebraska Wesleyan. When's the last time we had four teams we were talking about in the IAAC? Again, they're going to eat themselves a little bit. Maybe they can get a second one out, but if there's too much of that, it's only going to be one. But again, Warburg came from what was it, the sixth seed in that conference tournament, won three road games, 
to get the automatic qualifier, which is unheard of, then went in the NCAA tournament and knocked off two behemoths in the first two rounds, including Benedictine and the home team, River Falls. We know the IEC can probably go do something. It's just a matter of surviving their own conference, and that's why I think their conference race is going to be fascinating. Um, Tufts lost to Middlebury. No big deal, but the problem is now they've lost. They, 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 they come off the win with Williams with a loss to Middlebury, which only makes the NESCAC race a lot more confusing. And Lebanon Valley also receiving votes, uh, lost to Arcadia, uh, for whatever that means to anybody out there. Women's side, uh, a little quieter, as it normally is. Uh, that said, doesn't mean we didn't have some results to, 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 to consider. Muhlenberg lost to Gettysburg. I then saw the Mules on Saturday at McDaniel, and they beat them by 10. It should have been 20 or more. The only problem with the Mules were they kind of fell asleep in the fourth quarter. Uh, they had McDaniel pretty well in control. The first half went by in less than 30 minutes. Both teams playing quick. The game was in well in hand. The game was well in hand in the third quarter. The game was well in hand early in the fourth quarter. I dare say Ron Wood, Rod Wood maybe went to the bench a little early, if you can believe that. I think he wanted to show sign, uh, respect a, to, to McDaniel, just with the, what the score was headed towards and maybe to give his players some rest. Ironically, they have a week off until their next game in Centennial Play, which is next Saturday. So he didn't necessarily have to give them an early break, but maybe he was trying to save some legs after three tough games in the Centennial Conference this week. However, McDaniel took advantage of the opportunity and came back, and that 10-point win is as close as it got, but it got tense. And they started having to throw the, the starters back in for Muhlenberg on the women's side um, after things started to feel like they were unraveling. And I, I just, it, it, it got dicey. It got dicey. How good is Muhlenberg? I don't know. I like their size inside, to be sure. Uh, they've got something like three or four six-foot-footers that they're willing to play and have all kinds of uh, uh, skills. Um, certainly in height, but they're going to get exposed at the guard. Um, uh, Brandy, uh, Valerie is good. We all know that, but she's not great. I hate to say this, but it's almost like a Federici. Now Federici's changed in my opinion in the last few weeks, but Federici, one of the frustrations we had with him at FNM, a lot of us on the outside is he had a tremendous freshman year and, and petered off near the end of the freshman year. Most freshmen do, especially when you're the number one guy. But I didn't see any growth his sophomore or junior year. He still played well. He's still a good player. But he didn't take what felt like the next evolutionary step. It feels like maybe he's taken that evolutionary step this year. Valerie, I don't know if she's taken that next evolutionary step. And she doesn't. They've got other point. They got other guards, but not as good as Valerie. And not that you need one as good when she comes off, but you need somebody... Put it this way. McDaniel used four different defenders to guard Valerie. And at one point in the first half, and I don't know why they got away from this because it was working really well, they were double-teaming Valerie. She got the ball, they harassed with two players, and it was working. They got away from it, but more importantly, Valerie would go to the bench, and then McDaniel didn't worry about any other guards. They did not double-team anybody else because they weren't worried about it. Their guard one-on-one -on -one was going to do just fine with, with whoever had the ball. Now, in the second half, when Valerie came back in, McDaniel didn't go back to the double team. 
I don't know how much that would have worked, but still, if if McDaniel can double team Valley and have success and solo up the subs that come in for her and have success, imagine what top twenty five teams are going to do to Muhlenberg. They've got the inside presence, and that's where their advantage is. But they got to get the ball to them, so that's where they may get exposed. Number twelve might be a little too high for them as a top twenty-five. I kind of like Muhlenberg around twenty, maybe. They're still a really good team and well coached, certainly. But I don't think they're as high as everybody thinks they are. Uh, other losses that took place: Juniata lost to Drew. That certainly was a surprise. Uh, Drew's a, a good team, though I haven't had a good chance to evaluate them this year as much as I'd hope to. Uh, but they held Juniata just 44 points. That certainly tells you that this the landmark race is getting even more interesting. Uh, you've already got Catholic and Scranton, certainly. Um, Moravian's having a good season, and we knew about Juniata. Elizabethtown is lurking. Now Drew has made a statement in that race as well. Uh, Messiah lost to Albright. Uh, that's a little surprising. Uh, I know Albright's been good, but that's another game where, you know, out on the road, Messiah needs to put that game away. Gustavus Adolphus lost to Bethel. Uh, I don't know what to make of the Gusties on the women's side of things right now. Uh, River Falls lost to Oshkosh. Okay, Oshkosh is higher ranked, and after losing two last week, I think Oshkosh was coming out ready for, for vengeance. Washu lost to Brandeis on Friday. I think that caught a lot of people by surprise and then defeated NYU. Ithaca lost twice. They lost to Rochester Tech in the middle of the week, lost to St. Lawrence this weekend, and then finally beat Clarkson. That's a bit of, of a shocker, too. Ithaca was having a tremendous season. Claremont Mud Scripps lost to Chapman, and W and J lost to Thomas Moore. No surprise there, though a little closer than it's usually been in the past. Seventy-five, or seventy-three, fifty-seven. We will talk more about the Palestra coming up on the show. Uh, a wonderful thing at the Centennial. We will certainly talk about that. Uh, give you an idea. We're light on guests today, just to give the show a little bit more feel. Also, if you've got questions, we want to try and answer those questions. I haven't seen any necessarily, so say la vie, as they say. Um, looking around to see if we do have any. Um, of course, you can tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. You can email us, hoopsville at d3hoops.com. You can join us on the Facebook simulcast if you want to, et cetera, et cetera. I uh, got a question from Jake. Says, if you get a chance in today's show, mention to listeners how amazing of a basketball mecca Plester truly is. I'm spoiled as a Philadelphian, but I've seen hundreds of games over the years at the country's greatest basketball gymnasium. Uh, for starters, Jake, I'll say this much. It's not a gymnasium. I, I, I made this joke yesterday. I kept calling it a gym. It feels like saying it as a gym is being lesser of an amazing place. We will talk more, though, about the Plestra down the road. Uh, while this is not a D3 question, okay, but the Centennial did have a day of hoops at the Plestra. Why is Philadelphia the only city that, ha that has something like the Big Five? New York, D.C., Baltimore, Los Angeles, Chicago, Dallas, Houston, Phoenix, Seattle, Miami, Boston, Named a lot of cities. And many other cities have massive populations with tons of colleges and universities, yet nothing anywhere close to the Phillies' Big Five. Um, that's a tough one. Here's what I'll say. Um, I think they all do. You're just used to what Phillies is called. Now, they had the advantage where they all played in the same place, the Palestra, for many years. Now they all have their own places to play, and I, and I think they still come to the Palestra for some special one-offs, as it were. But you know, they no longer all play and call the Palestra home. But every city that you meant, most of those cities that you mentioned has a lot of college basketball that people um, revolve around. Um, Chicago certainly is no exception to that. I know that well. Boston, very much so. Um, Baltimore, to some degree, has it. Uh, they've got, I think, is it five Division I programs uh, that have basketball? Uh, Loyola, Coppin, Morgan. Um, UMBC, which is just outside the city, 
uh, and I'm forgetting one because uh, we used to have a tournament with them. Uh, some of those other cities I'm not going to dive into because it's a little bit harder to dive in. Um, I think the difference is that Philly had something that has had a longer history than maybe some of the others have had. Um, those Philly schools are certainly much older. And again, playing all at the same place, I think, held something to do with that. Um, uh, D.C. has some colleges, but not a lot. New York has a ton of colleges. Um, and you kind of do see that in New York. We've seen that in New York. Um, but I, 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 every place has its own unique thing about sports, as it were. And, and that's what Phillies is, is this the big five. The difference is I think you all hold them still at such a higher level than they really are to some degree, while other cities have become realistic to where their colleges stand in the upper echelons. Let's be honest. You know, Penn and St. Joe and LaSalle and all those, they aren't the big D1 behemoths anymore like they used to be. Um, and thus, you all hold them at a higher degree and a higher, and a higher level of, 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 of an echelon, as it were, than the rest of everybody else does. And so in your city, it's big. Now, the history is certainly there, and we're not going to deny that. And they ended up playing at a pretty cool place like the Palestra, and they all played at the Palestra. And that's what makes them unique. But don't get me wrong. D.C. is entrenched and, and encircles Georgetown basketball. Georgetown men's basketball at, at the uh, now called the, Cap, the Capital One Center is uh, it's a, an event. Same in New York, you know, they go out to those games. Same in Boston, they go out to those games. But those are programs that are a little bit different level now. I don't know if that's the right answer, but that's just my take. We'll talk more about the Plestra, though, on the Centennial Weekend coming up. In the meantime, we have guests on our show today. Did you know? Just two. We're going to keep it light. A tweet I saw from our good friend uh, Bob Quillman about his Illinois Wesleyan women's basketball team, I'm going to try and quickly find, because it was one of those things that kind of triggered my head. I went, oh, yeah, that would be one of those that we need to keep an eye on. Um, and so we got him on the show today. But his comment, through six CCIW games, I, Illinois Wesleyan women have outscored their opponents 531 to 367. Per game, that's 88.5 to 61.2. That's domination. So we will talk to Maya Smith coming up here on the show via Skype. We'll have her in just a few minutes. Also coming up, we'll go to the NABC Coaches Corner. Tony Wingen from Carnegie Mellon will join us. We'll talk to him about his work with the NABC, especially his long time as chair of the academic committee. We'll also joke about how he got that job. But we'll talk to him about that. And then we'll talk a little more about the Palestra, and then Ryan Scott will join us, and he will discuss with us his top 25, and we're going to add a little new part to the segment, the Triple Ds. Um, well, we'll talk about it when we get closer. We'll break down what we think our top 25 ballots could look like. He's done a heck of a lot more work than I have on mine, uh, but we'll still get an idea. You're listening to Hoops Hoopers, and by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC studios. Don't forget, again, you can email us. Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com. That's Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com if you have a question for us. You can also tweet us at D3Hoopsville and hashtag Hoopsville. You can also join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. We're live streaming the show on a simulcast right now. If you've got questions, go ahead and try and answer them there. I'll be honest. We we have to find a finagled way to, to see what your questions just might be. 
because it's not working as well as we thought it would be, like it normally does. Uh, but we'll certainly do our best to try and... Oh, I actually got it to work. How about that? So I can see your uh, questions if you happen to uh, chime in there. And that's how you do it. We'll take a break. When we come back, Mia Smith will join us. You'll listen to Hoops. Hope presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoops will after this. I did receive a non-athletic scholarship upon entering uh, school. I got the presidential scholarship, which was huge for me. I think there's more opportunities for academic scholarships in Division Three. I did receive academic scholarships. Just being involved on campus, being a leader, all those things combined kind of get me recognized. It's a great experience for me. My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I play because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us, all of us. To, to stop, stop sexual assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. And welcome back to Hoops, everybody. Hope you're enjoying the show on this Monday afternoon. A little preview of what we'll do a couple times. One, we may do this again after the Super Bowl. We tend to put the show on in the middle of the afternoon on Sunday. Kind of hard when other things are going on. So we might move that to Monday instead. Also, of course, it's also after the Hoopsville Marathon. An extra day wouldn't be a bad thing. Also, uh, we tend to have a matchup Monday show after the brackets have been announced. Um, that will be f- late February this year. 
So this kind of gets you an idea of when we're on the air on our Monday afternoon specials. All right, so let's talk women's basketball. The number 21 ranked team in the country is Illinois Wesleyan. And again, we mentioned before the show the tweet from our friend Bob Quillman, his huge fan and supporter of Illinois Wesleyan as an alum himself, pointing out that they were outscoring their opponents about 88 to 62 or something on average. And we'll go double check the number again before we have it. That got my mind racing, thinking, Chase, we have got to talk to the Titans women's basketball program. And it also feels like maybe 21 isn't good enough in their top 25. Well, I don't vote there, but we'll figure it out. Well, joining us to talk about it is their head coach. The head coach of Illinois Wesleyan, Mian Smith, joins us via Skype. Thank you very much, Coach. Glad to be here, David. I appreciate you taking the time, and uh, great to see you on the, on the video as well. You really are having a tremendous season. There's no way of looking around that right now when you look at, at the score, basically. But from your vantage point, I know we still got a lot of basketball to play. Are you happy with how, this, how things have progressed to this point? Happy is a great word to describe it, David. I, this team is really easy to work with. Um, they're a joy to coach. They are, are doing an excellent job of responding to game plans. And uh, we've got a small number on our team this year. We only have 13 players, but I think that 13 is a is just really a quality-like team, and uh, they're playing very well together. And like I said, they're easy, which makes my job very happy. Uh, we should also point out you've got career victory number 200 just in the conference alone. But, yeah, that was the other thing I did notice is the roster isn't maybe as large as I'm either either you seeing from you or used to seeing from some larger teams or uh, also top-ranked teams. Of course, Amherst is another one like that, very small roster. But sometimes that can, that can be helpful because the team can kind of bond a little bit better and maybe figure things out uh, uh, in a shorter period of time, I would assume. That's exactly it. And figure it out is what we talk about a lot. We know what our roles are with this team. Uh, everybody has accepted those roles. And once they did that, it was probably about the start of our conference season. That's when we really started putting up the high numbers offensively and then the low numbers defensively. So, uh, like I said, they're really easy to work with. I didn't think I would appreciate a small roster. We started out the year with about 19 players, and several of those have uh, continued to stay at the school but are pursuing stronger academic interests. When you talk, we'll talk about the defense in a bit. And obviously, the defense feeds the offensive. Offense can feed the defense. But on the offensive side, you're really clicking. I mean, the numbers are really high. And and I don't remember the last time I remember seeing a Titan squad who was that prolific, as it were, on the scoring side. You, you've always been a good defensive team, and you haven't needed to score a lot of points. Is it one of those where you try, where you just let them go to some degree? <laughs> Is there any effort to try and rein them in at all, either? Uh, no effort to rein them in, but uh, certainly I think sometimes my best coaching is when I say the least amount of things and just let them go out and, and do what they want to do offensively. Uh, their shot selection this year has been a lot better, and I think one of the statistics that really makes a big difference for this team is our assist-to-turnover ratio. And you know we're led by Rebecca Ayersman, and she really takes care of the ball for us, as do our other guards, and I think that's had a lot to do with the higher percentage shots and we're sharing the ball beautifully uh, sometimes I think we overpass a little bit but uh, they are fun to watch and and like I said they are they are really taking care of the ball the only blemish this season is two losses third and fourth game of the season Whitewater and Wash U. well okay uh, you it's not like you shy away from a tough schedule 
Uh, you had a win against Chicago before that. You had a win over a pretty gritty Rose Holman team after that. Uh, the WashU game being at DePaul. Did those two games tell you guys anything? It kind of felt like two opposites. You had a 62-60 loss to Whitewater and 89-81 loss to WashU. Did those two games help you in any way? Did you figure things out from those games? Or are those just ones that didn't fit the mold, as it were? No, actually, they told us a ton. And the game at Whitewater, we did not play well. Uh, a couple of our normally talented girls that take care of things, it just wasn't working for them in that game. So we'd really like a shot again at Whitewater, and hopefully that'll happen for us. Um, and then against uh, WashU, we played well, uh, but we were a little bit uh, just not in sync. It was still so early that we didn't have things worked out together. And now that we figured out what offenses we really like to be in and how we can score more effectively, we're doing things a lot better. You got three players in double figures. Maddie Merritt at 13 and a half, Molly McGraw at, 10, at 12, and Rebecca, uh, is it Reshman? Reshman? Ersman. Ersman. I'm overthinking it. Ersman. 10.3. Of course, I also want to mention Kendall Sosa at 8.2. But those three certainly are the, the cogs, but you're averaging 83 points a game overall, as we mentioned, about 88 points in the CCIW. How do those three interact with each other and play off of each other? Well, they all have very uniquely different games from each other. Uh, Rebecca plays a little bit more of a strength game. She can get inside and power up, use a pull-up jumper. Molly is quick, probably has in my opinion, the most athletic-looking layup I've ever seen from a female. <laughs> she can score any way she wants to around the basket on a breakaway layup. And then, of course, Maddie Merritt is our post girl. And what's really made a difference for Maddie, I think, has been the addition of our assistant coach, Marla Maupin, Cleveland. And she's just done a great job of really helping all of our post players develop new parts of their game. Uh, I'll come back to that in a moment. Uh, two of those three are seniors. McGraw and, and Ersman are seniors. How much is this about the senior class and what they're bringing to the table? How much is it about the underclassmen and what they're bringing to the table? Well, I'll tell you what. The upperclassmen, Rebecca, Molly, and even Kelsey Walsberg, our other senior, they've just done, and this is probably one of the best captained teams I've had in a very long time. They're doing such an excellent job of bringing the underclassmen along. I, I think our underclassmen feel confident, they feel comfortable. And I think when you're in that type of environment, it's really easy to learn and, and to progress quickly. And that's what's happened. Uh, since those two losses, obviously you've rattled off, uh, I believe it is 11 straight. Um, with the win over North Park, again, you're, you're dominating conference play. You beat Augustana 102-57. Uh, Elmer's 8761, North Park 8353. Of course, you've got Lori Kearns and Milliken coming up um, this week, along with Carroll, both games on the road. What has it been about conference play so far? And we should point out earlier in the season, you beat Wheaton and, and North Central. Of course, North Central, not the same team we've used to. But what is it about what you've done in CCIW that, that has had you stand out so well? What, what is it about that's making you click? Are you guys by yourselves in this conference right now and everyone else is not? on the same level or is it just you're just playing out of your minds to some degree <laughs> well i'm not exactly sure we tend to focus exactly on our own team and uh making sure we know what we need to be doing as a team to be successful so but i think one of the instrumental parts of the game is that we're forcing a lot of turnovers our, our pressure defense seems to be moving very well and so we're putting teams under a lot of press stress and 
anytime you can create turnovers, it gives you an offensive opportunity back with the ball. And we've been able to convert a lot of times on those turnovers and keep our offensive average up. And it also allows for some pretty good shot selection. If you get a breakaway layup from the turnover, I think that helps things out quite a bit. I'd also say this. I'd say that offensively, we're moving better as a team than I've seen my teams in the past. And it's really, like I said, they're fun to watch. We're drawing great crowds here at home. Uh, the last time we, our standalone crowd was 750 people. And we just looked, we looked fun. We looked like we were having a great time enjoying ourselves and ball moves good. We make good decisions. And I just really like the way this team is playing together. You talk about the turnovers. You're average, forcing 24.1 turnovers a game uh, while only, I think, turning it over yourself 14 or 15 times a game. That's a huge discrepancy. Is that because of in-your-face suffocating defense, or is it about timely um, uh, hand-in-the-passing-lane type stuff? What, what's, been the, what's been the trick to that? I, th I think it's a combination of the two, to be honest. Uh, our run-and-jump full-court pressure is typically pretty intense, and I think sometimes you know we can just force teams like like tonight, for example. You mentioned Milliken. We have a feeling that Milliken's having to practice their press break against our run-and-jump. So anytime a team can have to spend time practicing against what we do, then we think it's a, a bonus for us. So, And we try to focus mostly on what it is that we're doing, so keep things in, in that perspective. Interesting. Uh, you talked about uh, Maria Maupin Cleveland coming back, and I caught that one too. She's a former head coach of Illinois Wesley and was there for two years. Um, what, what what sparked that return? Um, and then we'll dive into more to it later. Sorry about that. I think I lost you for a second. It's all right. We've got you if you got me. Okay, good. Yeah, apparently um, she she heard the question, didn't want us to, to answer it. Uh, <laughs> first off, just Maria Maupin Cleveland's joined the program. She was head coach for two years. What prompted her to, to come back? Oh, we did lose, coach. Oh, how about that? Uh, we'll try and get her back here momentarily. Bear with us. Apparently, uh, Maupin Cleveland doesn't want us to ask this question, or somebody doesn't want us to ask this question. Let's see if we can get coach back here. Bear with us. Ah, technical difficulties on a Monday afternoon, too. I guess Skype's having a, a case of the Mondays as well. <laughs> we'll see. Of course, we may have lost her. Uh, no, nah, I didn't say. Uh, we'll, we'll give it a little bit more, a little bit longer here and see if we can get her back. May have lost the Internet there. Um, but again, it's an interesting dynamic. Maria Maupin Cleveland is a uh, was a head coach at Illinois Wesleyan, as we mentioned, for two seasons. She went 15 and 36. Uh, from 1986 to 1988, so obviously it's not recent, um, but chose to to come back and be an assistant. And I'd love to to hear more about that, and hopefully we can hear from Coach Maya Smith about that. Uh, back to Illinois Wesleyan from my vantage point. Ahead they got Milliken and Carroll certainly. Then they got a nice home stretch of three games: North Central, North Park, and Augustana. Uh, they've actually got a stretch where five of six are at home. Um, now and then their last two will be on the road. So a nice mix of being able to enjoy things at home um, for Illinois Wesleyan, to be sure. Um, not sure if Coach Smith is coming back. Uh, doesn't look like she's necessarily. We'll try one more time. Maybe we'll take a break and see if we can get her back. But even if we've lost her, certainly a fascinating point of view from her vantage point on what this team is doing. Uh, 21 seems low for this squad. And, and maybe it's because we're not sure what to expect from 
Illinois Wesleyan, who remember this is a team that was 18 and 10 last year. They were at 17 and 10 the previous year, 10 and 12 back in 2014, 15. Uh, the last time they were this good, maybe it was 11 and 12 when they went 28 and five. Of course, um, you know, we're 08 and 09, they were 30 and one. So we, we know what Illinois Wesleyan under coach Mia Smith is capable of doing. It's all about the players, though, and we know that. Uh, you can have all the best coaching in the world if you don't have players who can work off of that. It's irrelevant. They're now 13-2. and two. They're about to equal last year's mark of 18-10 and 10 without any issues, and I think uh, Coach Smith is back. We'll see if we can get her back here. We'll talk to her if we can about this turnaround. To some extent, I think we're getting her back. Coach, there she is. I see you. Hold on. We'll get you back on so everybody can see you. Uh, technical uh, difficulties. I guess this computer is having a case on the Mondays? I'm, I think it's called ancient computer. I'm due for a new one, but I'm too stubborn to have to learn how to use newer products. So. I understand, Coach. Don't worry. Uh, I, won't, I won't hold that against you. Uh, <laughs> we were in the middle. I just thought it was because uh, your assistant coach really didn't want us to ask this question. Uh, Marissa Mop in Cleveland, as we mentioned, head coach for Illinois Wesleyan back in the mid 80s. She was there for two seasons and then moved on. What what has been the impetus to bring her back as assistant coach this season? Well, actually, she came via uh, the very famous and retired coach at Illinois State, Jill Hutchison. Ah. And Jill said that she was looking for some opportunities just to get back into the basketball world. She's recently moved back to Bloomington Normal. Marla has. And so we contacted her and last year she began working with our post just a little bit. And this year she was all in and uh, we are just really thrilled to have her assistance. She's made a big impact with our post players and our players actually when it comes to playing post defense and how to look to score in different ways. And I guess at this point I, too, I should probably uh, give a shout out to my graduate assistant, Shelby Jackson, who got us back and running here. So. That's cool. Yeah, I said Maria. I think I did. I did mean Marla. Just uh, not well, reading right. that correctly. Um, fascinating to, to turn. Sometimes uh, you don't see that every day, and I was fascinated by it. You also have. I mean, you've got a great coaching staff. You mentioned Shelby Jackson. You also have Chad uh, Cusack on the team as well. Um, I'm always fascinated with a coach's makeup of her, their assistants, and you really have a, di a dynamic, diverse group. You have a young uh, coach in Shelby. You've got a, a gentleman in Chad, and of course. Marla, who's got a wealth of experience. How does that help you as a head coach? You know, as you're talking about that, David, it gives me goosebumps to think about how good those three people are. It really does. Um, I'm really blessed to have them on my staff. Illinois Wesleyan is blessed to have those people as well as my girls. But they all bring a certain dynamic to our program that literally just completes us. Um, I'm usually the intense one. Chad is the one who normally really focuses on our point guards and what they're doing. Marla takes over the post, and Shelby's got all of the day-to-day -day, uh, game planning, practice planning, travel planning, uh, video stuff going on. So it's just, it has made my year, like I said, easy has been. Easy and happy are the two words that I'm using to describe this season. It's certainly an interesting dynamic, and, and, and things like that can make a huge difference. You talk about just the post play alone. I've, I've found I, I'm fascinated when I find posts who can make great plays and can score in different fashions, and I'm frustrated by posts who don't seem to understand how to get from point A to point B without making a mess of it. Um, so I, I'm fascinated with that, and I look forward to keeping watching it. This season feels like a turnaround to me. I know you were 18 and 10 last year. I, I, I'm not trying to, to 
you know, say that you weren't good last year. We're not that far removed from 10 and 15, but it feels like the days of 28 and 2 are long past us. But this feels like the season that could be that. Well, you know, I don't want to jinx ourselves yeah, yeah, yeah. in any in any form, but yeah. uh, we certainly it feels that way to me too. I think a lot of our fan base kind of feels that way. It's reflected in the people coming to the ball games. You know, the large crowd attendance, and um, as a coach who's been around for thirty some years, it has that same vibe that we had in two thousand nine through about two thousand and twelve, and. I just think I've got great girls in the program. We've got a lot of local girls, and that really refreshes our crowd, um, helps bring them back in. And certainly Rebecca Ayersman has been the largest uh, fan drawer, I guess you would say, to our games. The towns of El Paso and Gridley really come out to support Rebecca. And then we've got a couple local girls from Central Catholic. Those people all are coming out. And it's just, it's really fun. The Kendall Sosa and Raven Hughes are both local girls. So it's, it's, it's just really been fun. Uh, you, you, you mentioned the fun and the home games. You're going to have to get through two more away games here uh, in a stretch of three aways. Then, as we mentioned earlier, while, while we missed you, three home games followed by uh, really five out of six home games. You do finish three out on, on the four on the road, but uh, I mixed in those two. We kind of cross over in that five of six, three of four comparison. You do have a lot of home games coming up. That's dangerous for the CCIW because you're clicking along both at home and on the road, but most of this is home on the way, on the way to the end. I don't want to jinx it either. You're undefeated. Wheaton is second. They've got two losses. It's not going to take that much to necessarily – make sure to wrap up the top seed. But it doesn't look like there's anybody in the way of you guys steamrolling the rest of the way through this conference. Well, I appreciate your confidence, David. Um, we're going to take it one game at a yeah, time. I knew, yeah. but, but certainly, uh, it feels good at this point. That That's what we can say. And we love playing at home. We love having our pet band, you know, getting all rowdy and crazy. And they play such great music. Even if you just wanted to come listen to a great band play, come to the basketball games. They, they play for both the men and the women, and they're just super. And we love our little announcer guy, a really hot product from Central Catholic High School as well. His name is Lucas Smith, and he does a fantastic job on the mic. Everybody loves him. Huh. He's headed to Mizzou to, to pursue journalism, huh. actually. Yeah, Lucas Smith, you say. Smith. Smith. It's not a related. fascinating last name. <laughs> not related, but I'd take oh, it. Oh, I thought that's where we were headed. <laughs> um, Coach, this is going to be a weird question. We haven't seen the regional rankings. I don't have SOS numbers or anything like that in front of me. I'm looking at a top 25 that has you 21. you got two losses to two decent teams early in the season. Granted, I think a lot of people are shaking their head at the Wash U result at this point, but it's tough. Are you, dare I say, underrated right now? That's such a tough question. Um, gosh, if I say yes and, you know, we take a bad loss, we could yeah. drop out. If I say, I don't know. It, th that's hard. The rankings are hard yeah. because there are so many really good Division Three women's basketball teams out there. And they're all so competitively close. Mm -hmm. That's the key, I think, is there's hardly any parity among all of that. So it's... You know, the competition is always tough, and it, you could be 25 one day, and you could be 100 the next. So <laughs> It's true. 
I'll, I'll give you that. You should come to the men's side. It's even crazier over I there. Know, it is uh, crazy. But I agree with you. The women has gotten deeper and deeper and more parity in the last few years. I've noticed it as well this year, especially. Uh, Tufts can go and lose two games and you shake your head. Um, well, Coach, I appreciate you taking the time twice to join us here today. Uh, I appreciate you working through the tech issues as well. Good luck. Uh, obviously, a big game coming up against Milliken on Friday um, and another game on Saturday on the road against Carroll and then kind of the nice turnaround and come back home and start really taking advantage of that. As always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those tuning in? I uh, just want to say that uh, basketball has just been a great forum for females lately and I'm so excited to be a part of that right now and I'm really proud of the girls that I have in our program and the fact that they are changing some young female minds about the game of basketball and and what all it can do for you so it's just a it's really an honor to be the women's basketball coach at Illinois Wesleyan well said uh good point of view as well uh thank you very much for your time good luck the rest of the way look forward to talking to you guys down the road thanks Dave appreciate Absolutely. you thank you coach take care Mia Smith joining us on the City of Salem Skype Hoopsville Hotline. Appreciate her taking the time to do that. Again, pretty good run here. 11 straight wins after back-to-back losses in late November. Uh, they're steamrolling through the conference, folks. I don't know what else to say better than that, and maybe I'll say it. I think they're underrated. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll jump to the NABC Coaches Corner. Their uh, head coach of Carnegie Mellon will join us, and we're talking about student-athletes and why he's got his eye on them and their academic success. You're watching Hoops, presented by D3Hoops.com, the WBCA and ABC Studios. College basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. The College Basketball Experience is the place to get your game on. It's not a museum. It's an experience you won't forget. Discover the history of the game in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, featuring the Gallery of Honor, Mentor's Circle, and Honor Theater. Suit up in the latest CBE-logoed Nike gear at the CBE Hoop Shop. Elevate your game today and visit the house that college basketball built. For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. And in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. This is why we love sports. It's in the way they play, free from the pressures and all the money talk. Playing for simply the love of the game where everyone has a shot at their definition of success on and off the field. This is what we love about sports and what we can still love about college sports. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.D3Hoops.com. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. 
and we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. And welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Hope you're enjoying the show. If you've got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com or join us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. I got an email regarding the segment we'll do a little bit later here with Ryan Scott, and he'll join us via Skype to talk about the top 25. He's got some name ideas for the segment, which we haven't come up with. Trying to keep an eye out for you if you've got any questions for us via those other avenues, and we'll certainly keep an eye out and see if anybody's commented. But so far, nobody that's okay. It's all right. It's just a Monday afternoon here, and we're uh, talking Division Three basketball. All right, so we're going to talk. Uh, on Sunday evenings, we normally have the NABC Coaches Corner. Obviously, we didn't have a show on Sunday evening, so we're transitioning a little bit here and going on to a Monday afternoon. We'll have the NABC Coaches Corner. It gives us a chance to talk to coaches who are doing more than just coaching. They're giving back in some capacity. They're either giving back in their communities, giving back in their professional uh, uh, development, as it were, or whatnot. The coach we have coming up today basically has an eye, as it were, on the student-athlete. Always has had an eye on the student-athlete. He's the head of the NABC Academic Committee and has for a long time. We'll talk to him about why. Joining us on the Hoopsville Hotline presented by the City of Salem, it is Tony Wingen, the head coach of Carnegie Mellon. Coach, thanks for taking the time, sir. Thank you, Dave. It's good to be here. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, I think it just dawned on me, and this is an inside joke to some degree, but once again, you've been volunteered for something by uh, Charlie Brock. Right. Yeah, Charlie's good at that. He's uh, he's good at volunteering people and then uh, uh, taking whatever credit for it that he can uh, he can get. So so and that and that's a joke as well. Charlie yes. Charlie does unbelievable work with the NABC and uh, uh, and he's the head coach at my alma mater uh, and and another uh, coincidentally he was an assistant coach uh, at Springfield my freshman year. Uh, so that uh, gives you an idea how old he is. Huh. Um, wow. And, uh, and then he left my sophomore year. He left and became the head coach at Drew, and then the rest is history yeah. from there. But uh, uh, we go back a long ways. Uh, we won't We won't get the license plate of the bus that just ran him over. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so y- this all came about because I'm looking for segment guests for this idea, and Charlie's like, "I got a great one. I'll get I'll get you in touch with them." And the next thing I know, my phone is ringing, and it's you. Yep. And I'm blown away by this because it's another thing that Charlie volunteered you for. But you you have not only been on the academic committee and chaired the academic committee with the NABC uh, recently. You've been doing it forever. Can you give us a little bit of an idea of a what is the academic committee with the NABC, and b how long exactly have you been serving? Sure. Um, sure. It, um, so the, the, the academic committee, uh, it essentially is, is a committee, and it's an, uh, an all-divisions committee, um, although it, it is more Division three heavy right now. Um, it's a, a committee that, that really our primary role is to promote academic success, uh, and the academic good work that college basketball players are doing across the country. And, uh, and we're continually looking for ways to promote that uh, and ways to, to help coaches and, and their SIDs to promote the good work that, that their student-athletes are doing. Uh, and certainly, you know, in Division three, uh, you know, I, I know there are student-athletes at every level, but 
at our level, every one of our players is a student-athlete. Uh, they're they're playing because they love to play. There's no scholarship involved, and you know the the large majority of them their their career is not going to be in basketball once they're done playing. Um, so uh, essentially, the the committee, uh, our committee, uh, looks for ways to promote the uh, the student athlete and the and particularly the academic side of what they do, uh, and help coaches to to promote that work as well. Um, and I, I got into the onto this committee uh, kind of by default. Uh, I was, uh, yeah, another default, right? Yeah. Um, the um, I was uh, I was Bill Fenlon, uh, who's now the head coach at DePaul. Uh, I was his assistant coach at Swanee, and when Bill left uh, to become the head coach at Rose Hallman, uh, I was promoted to head coach uh, at Swanee, and Bill had moved out of our district. Uh, uh, the, the district that he was uh, representing on the committee on academics, uh, and so uh, Bill Napton, who was the the chair at that time, he um, he came to uh, called me and, and asked if I'd be interested in filling that spot, and I said I would. Um, and thirty years later, here I am uh, now as the chair uh, for the last ten years, and uh, and it's been great. It's uh, it's been a lot of fun. It certainly sounds like it. And we should point out, I mean, there's a team award, uh, teams who have a 3.0 GPA cumulative amongst all its, all their players and the higher are honored. What, what it, I mean, obviously, I, I'm not that surprised if your committee is, is a little D3-centric and heavy. You sure. kind of you made the argument. We all know that. Student-athletes are the important part yep. of this. I mean, we truly in Division Three is as shameless or as, as uh, corny as it is. We do go by the student-athlete part of that title. Yep. But... Is there is there an effort of your all to to find better ways or bigger ways to promote to to shine a spotlight? I mean, what what exactly is the ultimate goal? I guess and that's kind of a loaded question. I yeah, right. Um, well, the you know the the ultimate goal obviously would be for for each school, and and I think really in Division three and, and in all divisions, um, schools are really they're really doing a good job to of promoting community service and uh, academic success uh, of their student athletes and and our our role is really to to just kind of push that and make sure that they're that they're doing everything they can uh, the the two uh, kind of nuts and bolts awards that we have uh, are the honors court which uh, has been uh, Boy, that's been been in place now for over 25 years, um, and it's a uh, it's a program that where we honor uh, any player who has a th- any junior or senior player who has a 3.2 uh, GPA or higher, um, and it's simply a uh, coaches report those students. Um, we we recognize them nationally, um, and then. When the release comes out, we strongly encourage uh, everybody to uh, get that in, into the media, promote it on your website. Um, and I would say 100% of the schools are doing that. Um, and that's a, that's a way to promote uh, maybe that guy who's the, the 13th or 14th guy on your roster who's a 4.0 student or a, or a 3.7 student or whatever, 
Uh, it's a way to get him some rec- recognition that he deserves uh, that's outside of what he's doing on the floor. Um, and then the other, the other program that goes along with that is the, uh, the Team, Excellence Academic, or Team Academic Excellence Award. And we're in our fifth year of that right now. Uh, and that is uh, an award that recognizes any team that has a 3.0 uh, team GPA or higher uh, of all of the players who, who appeared on their roster during that season. Um, and that number has gone up every year. Uh, I think it took us a little while to get some momentum on it. Um, but once, you know, once they saw how, you know, what a good tool it was to promote you know, academic success of your, your team, uh, you know, team start, everybody was reporting, and uh, the number has grown uh, over the last four years. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's a, a program that we look to have established for a long time, like the Honors Court. Uh, and then uh, over the years, we've had, we've had some bigger individual awards. Uh, years ago, we had a uh, 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 Scholar-Athlete of the Year award. Uh, we had one for each division, uh, and our, our committee administered that. Uh, we had the Literacy Champion Award, uh, which was uh, in place for uh, oh, 10 or 12 years, um, and we had some, some very prominent winners. Uh, two, two of our Division three coaches that were winners of that award were Charlie Brock <laughs> uh, and Steve Moore from Worcester. Yeah. Um, and, and we had some heavy hitters, too. Uh, uh, Mike Krzyzewski was an, a winner one year, uh, Tubby Smith when he was the head coach at Kentucky, mm-hmm. um, and then a uh, 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 a big thrill that I had, uh, I was able to present that award to Bob Knight uh, the year that uh, uh, after his last year at Indiana. Mm, okay. And uh, uh, the the chair of the committee on academics doesn't no longer presents that award. I don't know if that reflects my <laughs> performance at the uh, at the award ceremony or uh, or not. But uh, <laughs> so that was uh, yeah, that was a short lived. Uh, uh, presentation career that I had, uh, <laughs> but that was uh, that, that was interesting and, uh, and and a lot of fun to to give that award. Uh, certainly, so. a lot more work I think goes into these things uh, and into these committees than people realize. I mean, I think for some of the NCAA committees, I think we understand that the rules committees and, and sure. all that stuff. But I think with a committee like yours, at first I was thinking, okay, you're just basically overseeing some award. No, you guys really have a lot of things that you have to tackle. On a daily, on a yearly basis, I don't want to say daily, but a yearly basis. And at the same time, you're—I assume—you're always trying to tweak it to make it better. Absolutely, and uh, you know, we're—I uh, have—I uh, have a really good committee of coaches. Um, uh, Lon Reisman, uh, uh, Division Two head coach at Tarleton in Texas, has been with the, on the committee for quite a while. Uh, Rich Reed from Laverne is my co-chair. Uh, Gary Stewart from Stevenson, uh, who's also a board member. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greg Curley from Juniata, uh, Hillary Scott from Lynchburg, uh, Paul Phillips from Clark, um, and we've got Eddie, Eddie DeCellis, uh, head coach at Navy, uh, Steve Donahue at Penn. Um, so it's a, you know it's a good committee of, of yeah. coaches, and uh, you know we're continually looking for ideas, and uh, we um, you know there's a little process that we have to go through with. Um, uh, with the board uh, and Rick Letty, who's essentially the SID 
for uh, <laughs> for the NABC, yep. um, and and Charlie's been very helpful with that. Uh, in that he's um, you know been able to push some ideas through, and we're uh, uh, you know we've got a couple that we're thinking about right now, uh, just some uh, ways that we can. Uh, kind of highlight some individual student athletes mm. uh, with some things that they're doing, uh, and and maybe go a little bit beyond just the academic side of things and and get into community service and mentorship and leadership and things like that. Uh, so I, you know I think the the time is right maybe for us to to expand what we do, uh, you know, with the scope of our work. Yeah, fascinating. So. And definitely a hard-hitting group there. We should point out that you've always kind of been involved in, in academic type of schools, not only in Division Three, but your your brief soiree, as it were, in Division One. You, of course, were at Brown, which is part of that, you know, the the elite of the elite in terms yep. of academics in the Division One side of things in the Ivy League. Um, and then yep. you mentioned Navy, and you mentioned Penn as part of your group. Um, yep. Yeah, they're they're kind yep. of synonymous with that as yep. well. Absolutely, so, you, absolutely. What yeah. I mean, I know this is about college, and I know it's about student athletes, and we say that all the time. But why is it – I'm trying to find a better way of saying it. Why is it so important? But it feels like that. You know, Why is it so important to make sure we're, we're recognizing the student athlete for what they're doing in the classroom? Well, I think, I think that uh, everyone is so quick to point out the negatives. Yeah. You know, everybody's looking for a scandal. Everybody's <laughs> looking for, uh, you know, give me some bad news to report, you know, because that's what sells – websites and newspapers and everything sure. and uh, uh that's why we're not successful well, right. <laughs> <laughs> right right and uh, uh and you know and, and when you when you get right down to it i mean what are we what are we really doing this for i mean yes we we compete we want to win yeah. and everything but um you know student experience is is really the hallmark of what we do in division three and um you know, when when we recruit uh, guys to come to Carnegie Mellon, uh, we talk about that uh, career development and you know helping them with their with their career path. Everything we do is is geared toward that, um, and and that includes coming to work and grinding it out in practice every day, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you know doing the work every day in the classroom and. Uh, but it also involves networking with alumni and do, getting internships and things like that. Uh, the the way we travel in the UAA is part of uh, the student experience and part of the uh, the career development, if you will, um, because we're we're flying to major cities and uh, you know and that's a that's an experience that that helps them in their uh, in their career search. Sure. So makes sense to me. Um, it's a lot of fascinating work. I appreciate you coming on and talking about it. I could talk more about it, but I, yeah. I don't think we need to uh, drag our viewers along with you. Right, right. Uh, but I certainly would love to chat with you more about it in the future. Any chance we're going to see you at Salem? Um, it's possible. Okay, it's good. Possible. Yep. I know. I know we can maybe see you when we we go to Fort Wayne, but it's still a long trip for you. So, yep. I wouldn't yep. mind running uh, catching up with you if we can. Um, let's talk great. about your team a little bit. I know it's sure. uh, probably. You know, not the best of seasons uh, necessarily well, when you look on it on paper, four and ten on the season. Of course, right. in the middle of centennial or centennial uh, UAA play, but yep. but your vantage point, how is the season going? Well, we're uh, we're struggling right now with our record. Uh, you know, as every everybody sees, sure, you know, yeah. four and ten is four and ten. Yeah. Um, but we've got 
we've got a good group of young players um, and and a, a handful of juniors and seniors who are are leading us and you know helping those young guys to find their way and uh we we just came off of a, a road weekend at emory and at rochester yeah. um and you know a weekend against two really good opponents where where we competed very well and uh so i'm yeah. you know i'm pleased with the way we played um you know we've got the the inconsistency that a a young team will have um but I think we're I think we're getting better, and uh, uh, you know we get to, we get a couple of home games this week. Uh, although it's uh, Chicago coming in Friday and Wash U on Sunday, so <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, take your poison. You know, home games, uh, home games, yes, but uh, another you know two more good opponents, and uh, you know, and I guess uh, I I've had an ongoing conversation with the guy who sets our schedule. Uh, because our non-conference schedule has not been uh, not been the easiest either. Yeah, <laughs> so, no. You know, yeah, it, I need to get get to work with that guy and uh, yeah. figure out uh, how we can do that a little yeah, better. Mary Washington uh, has a good year. You've at least got a win over there. But Juniata, yeah, they, yep, they tripped yep. you up. Hobart uh, got a hold of you. Lyco got yep, a hold of you. Yep, yeah, case, yep. yeah. So uh, you ought to talk to that guy. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll, he and I'll get it figured out. Uh, <laughs> and and try and make sure people aren't looking at me strange as I'm talking to nice. myself, you know. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> um you you know, obviously didn't start well with Case Western Reserve in the 9463, right. but Emory you mentioned is a 5-point loss in Rochester, you know, right in that game within 12 at the yep. end. Um yep. what do we make of the UAA this year? Uh you got Chicago and watched you ahead and yep. and certainly um we're not at that point of of playing a lot, but I know you've watched enough tape. Wash you looks sure. like they're pretty darn Good. Mark Mike McGrath looks like he's got a squad that its record's a little deceiving. Yep. I don't know what to make of Emory. I like Rochester. Maybe I'm the only one. Um, what, what do we make of the UAA race? It feels very kind of hodgy podgy this year. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's a little more. Um, well, it, yes, it's early, but I, I think clearly you've got um, you've got Washu, Emory, and Rochester. You know, are the the three that that look look really good mm-hmm. um and wash has got got all seniors uh and they're they've had success the last couple of years they're, they are really really good um and emory um you know em, jason zimmerman's style uh is different than than everybody else's uh just the way they they're so up tempo and so aggressive with their defense um they you know they're they're always really good as well um and rochester um uh, you know they on paper they lost a lot on a lot for through graduation right but um they're they're really good system wise and uh they shoot it so well and they're and they're better defensively than people give them credit for um so uh they're the three that i think clearly everybody looks at as the kind of the power um, and then you've got Chicago, who's played a really good non-conference schedule um, and puts a lot of three-point shooters on the floor. Um, NYU uh, has, you know, had a good non-conference record. Yeah. Uh, kind of took it on the chin last week in, in the Midwest, yeah. but they're, um, you know, they're they're a good team. And then uh, and then you've got us and Case and uh, and Brandeis, who are uh, you know younger teams that are trying to figure it out. So uh, it it'll get interesting 
as as the schedule goes along. But yeah. um, you know, I think right now that's kind of the way it uh, the way it looks. You've got the the three, and then then two, and then and then three others. But uh, you know, that could change. Of course, over the, the next few weeks. Wash, you put a number on NYU this weekend. Uh, they did. Yeah. 61 in the first half on yep. to 113 for the game. Yep. Uh, not a prototypical Wash U game. No, that's uh, <laughs> no. when you think about Wash U, you don't necessarily think about that kind of offensive numbers. No. But uh, I mean, you think about offensive efficiency, but yes. but not necessarily uh, high scores. No. Is, that, is yeah. that a kind of game, as a coach, you go, oh, crap, or is that... <laughs> One of those games, you go. You know what? That until I see that two or three times, I'm not buying in. Yeah, I, um, yeah, I, I hope it doesn't become the norm. Uh, <laughs> let me let me say that. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, I I think that you know they they, they are who they are, and and there's going to be some some anomalies, uh, you know, every now and then. But sure. uh, um, you know. I, Hopefully we don't see another hundred this weekend. Yeah. Uh, or, yeah. or if we do, it's on Friday and not Sunday. Yeah. I wonder so, why. I wonder yeah. why. Yeah, yeah. You guys can figure that one yeah, out. Yeah, you can put two and two yeah. together. Jason yep. Zimmerman right now is going. Thanks a lot. Not yeah. Jason. Not Jason. Um, uh, Todd. Todd. Yeah. yeah Todd's going. Yep. Thanks, Coach. Yep. Really right. appreciate that. <laughs> well, sir, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, before we let you go, we do have our little Q and A section that we do with our each coach. It's the same sure. questions we ask. That way, we kind of hear the, all the different answers. Uh, there's a little crossover with the, NA, the WBCA version of this, but we also have some more unique questions for, for our NABC fans. Um, are you ready to have these? These aren't complicated. It's kind of off the cuff, kind of off the top of your head type stuff. All right. Okay. I'm ready. All right. I think I know the answer to this one. I kind of do every time I ask it. Best part of coaching Division III? Uh, interaction with the students every day. Yeah. Like I said, thought I saw that one coming. <laughs> uh, your biggest pet peeve as a coach? Hmm. Well, I uh, I've been known to joke that uh, coaching beats working for a living. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, um, boy, I don't know if I have a pet peeve. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll pass on that one. That's fine. You don't have yeah. to. I, you know. uh, is there a rule or nuance to the game that you absolutely love? Um, a rule. Or nuance it doesn't necessarily. Yeah. Know. Um, boy, yeah, Maybe there's nothing not not complicated, <laughs> but uh, yet complicated. Yes. Uh, as long as you don't no. say smart, people will be fine. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, right. I just, I, I mean, a, a nuance of the game. I, I just love the the teamwork involved with basketball, and just uh, to me, it's the greatest game in the world. That's a cool way of saying it. Uh, me likey, as they say. Yeah. Um, all right. So, what is a rule you'd love to see changed or removed? I think that I would like to see the the restricted arc hmm. taken out. Hmm. Um, I know it was put in to make the uh, the the block charge easier to call for referees, but mm-hmm. um, I'm not uh, I'm not sure it is. Okay. So, I'm probably in the minority as far as that goes, but um, uh, I would like to see that uh, see that removed. Um, and I, and on top of that, I think I'd like to see the five second closely guarded call back in. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Um, I, I hate when a guy can just kind of just sit there. He, and dribble. Yeah, yeah. 
Yep, I'm with you yep. as well. Yeah. Um, if your wife or your friends are watching, I, I don't make any assumptions with this question, uh, and they know you well enough, what would they? What would you say they would say that they'd like to see you change on the bench, or or how you how you uh, are on the bench or on, on in a game? Um. Well, my my wife is my is my coach. Ah. And, uh, okay. And she is. Uh, um, she monitors my body language um, <laughs> and facial expressions and things like uh-huh. that. Um, uh, and uh, so she she's continually getting me to clean up my uh, my body language and things like that. And not okay. not be as demonstrative, maybe with. Oh, I accidentally hit a button. Oh, hold on. We will get him back. I was reaching for something on the control panel and hit a button. Can you believe it? I apologize, folks. Hold on a quick second. Uh, I just got to find the email that's got... Oh, Coach, you uh, there? Oh, sorry yeah. about that. That was yeah. me. That yeah. was all me. <laughs> you were talking about body language, and I got all freaked out. Oh. <laughs> uh, no, it's reaching for something on our control panel, and, and I accidentally brushed past a, a button that killed the... the oh, okay. I apologize. You so, were saying about body language yep, and your wife. Yep. Well, she, uh, yeah, she it monitors my facial expressions and things like that, okay. and that's and that's all good, and I and it needs to be. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, about 15 years ago, uh, you know, in Division Three gymnasiums, we have these quiet times every now and then. Yes. And uh, and I let a Uh-oh. a very big bad word go. Oh. Uh, right in the middle of a game that. I don't do that anymore. Okay. <laughs> well, that's that's appropriate. I got a question coming up that's kind of along those lines. We'll get to that. Uh, what would your assistants say they want you to change? Um, well, I have I have two very good young assistants, uh, three very good young assistants, and uh, um, they would probably. Um, they would probably say that I'm sometimes a little bit too lenient with our players. Okay. Um, and uh, I don't know that that's lenient in a bad way, but um, perhaps I'm not as tough on them as I should be at times. Okay. Um, I so, can, I, I and, I, and I recognize that that may be a shortcoming of mine as well. Okay. So, um, What can you say to a referee – that will get the message across, but will not earn yourself a T. Like, what can you what can you say that will get you right up to that line? <laughs> Maybe even dabble your toe in the water, but will not get you the aforementioned bad word in a in a quiet sure. setting scenario. Yep. Um, well, I'm I'm very big on consistency mm-hmm. and guys being in in the right position. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of my one of my favorites is. Um, you know what, guys? I have to watch this stupid video every fall that explains all the rules changes and all of the points of emphasis that you guys are supposed to be calling. Mm-hmm. So if I have to watch this video, shouldn't you call that call the game the way that video says you're supposed to call it? <laughs> and, yeah, they'll listen to that. I was going to say, I can't <laughs> see a ref teeing you up for that. No, I, they can't tee up for that. No, that no. one is that nope. is yeah, that's pretty good. I like it. Um, finally, when you retire, because all coaches eventually do. Yep. 
Uh, what do you hope people will remember you as a coach? Um, I hope they'll remember me as uh, a guy who, who cared about my student-athletes. Um, I hope they'll remember me as a, a, a teacher. And, uh, and I hope they'll remember that, uh, that the experience they had was one of the greatest things they had in their life, and, uh, and hopefully it was meaningful. Cool. Well, I appreciate you answering our fun questions. We did get one email that I'd love to get your answer to. Um, It's fascinating. No, it's got me thinking. Um, It said, said, speaking of academics in Division III, do you think it's it's a recruiting advantage or disadvantage for a school to have very high academic standards? Uh, Well, I think think it's a double-edged sword. It really is. Um, You know, and and fortunately, uh, you know, at, at our school, uh, the guys that we're that we're recruiting have an understanding of uh, the the academic standards and uh, you know and, and how and how difficult the, and challenging the coursework is. Um, unfortunately, we're you know that means we're recruiting against MIT and WashU yeah. and Chicago and Emory and uh, you know other schools like Johns Hopkins, um, but I. Um, I, of course, I look at it as an advantage. Um, you know that the that the high academic standards are um, are an advantage for us. Yeah, I I said it this way. I don't know if it's the right answer. I think it depends on the recruit. Uh, it, well, there's no doubt. Yeah, no no doubt. So about I don't it. know if it's an advantage or a disadvantage because if you it depends on the recruit you're going for. Yep. It, it, yep. It, it, if the recruit is up for that kind of challenge academically, and that's what interests them, along with basketball, it's an advantage. Yep. If they're not interested in that in, in that standard, if they're not interested in, in putting that foot forward, or maybe they just aren't capable, yep. um, I would fall in the category of probably not being capable. I wouldn't have succeeded at a Carnegie Mellon, um, <laughs> let alone my, my, my application would have found its way to the trash can before being open. Um, then well, it doesn't work. And, you know, it's a disadvantage. Other, you know, the other thing is if, uh, if they're not qualified or if they're not interested in that type of academic challenge, then right. you, shouldn't, you shouldn't waste each other's time. That's true, too. Yeah. So, uh, yeah hopefully you learn that early. Yep. yep. Absolutely. Yep. Well, Coach, I love chatting with you. Thanks so much. Thank you. Um, excluding my little haphazard plug of the, uh, no, of the, of the phone line there. Um, <laughs> as always, we get the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those tuning in? Uh, just uh, – and – your audience knows this already. Division three basketball is the best value in sports. <laughs> Most of us are are not charging admission for our games, uh, or it's a very very small admission fee. Um, and I think people when they when they go out and watch a good Division three game, uh, they see how entertaining and what what great basketball it is. Um, I think they get hooked and. Uh, um, and I thank you and, and D3 Hoops for, for what you guys do to promote Division Three basketball. And uh, um, you guys have been, have been great at that. And, uh, well, thank you. Thank you, and uh, keep, it, keep it going. Absolutely. I'm going to steal that best value in. That's outstanding. I like that one because <laughs> I never thought of it that way. You're right. It really is. Uh, thanks so much. Take care, and we'll talk to you somewhere down the road. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate Absolutely. it. Take care. Take care. He is uh, Tony Wingen, head coach of Carnegie Mellon Men's Basketball. The Tartans, one of those cooler uh, mascot names out there. Uh, not having the greatest of seasons, but a building, 4-10. and 10, Chicago and Wash U at home coming up. Then they get the double weekend after that. They're at NYU and Brandeis before being home against NYU and Brandeis.
Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about the Palestra, and we'll talk about we'll talk about things with Ryan Scott, our top twenty-five fellow voter. Got some people with some ideas of a of a title name for the segment. We'll run those past Ryan as well. You're listening to Hoops Hope presented by D3Hoops.com for the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoops will right after this. I'm a Division III student-athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, or less than. So I pledge to speak up if I hear the term gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic terms. If you can play, you can play in Division III. I'm a Division III student-athlete, and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family. So now I pledge to do the same for others. If you can play, you can play in Division III. I used to never really talk, ever. Uh, I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. It helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. Division Three allows you to give yourself to other things. Having that free time allows me to pursue the things that I want to pursue. Division Three athletics affords students the opportunity to, you know, engage in the other interests in their campus and in their lives outside of that sport. It allows you to just be able to do everything you want to do. I wouldn't change it for the world. Division Three allows you to give yourself to other things. Having that free time allows me to pursue the things that I want to pursue. Division Three athletics affords students the opportunity to, you know, engage in the other interests in their campus and in their lives outside of that sport. It allows you to just be able to do everything you want to do. I wouldn't change it for the world. And welcome back. We're on Hoopsville. Hope you are enjoying this Monday afternoon version of the show. If you've got any questions for us, we're in our last 20 minutes or so of the show. You can tweet us at D3Hoops or hashtag Hoopsville. You can email us, hoopsville at D3Hoops.com, or join us on the Facebook uh, simulcast or on our YouTube page. I'm checking around. Not a lot of questions. Not a big deal. Certainly don't need to have a lot of questions, um, but we have gotten a few. Uh we have a couple things ahead uh, we're going to bring Ryan Scott in for. One, I'm throwing a curveball on him. We're going to talk about the Palestra yesterday. Also, uh, we're going to talk our usual top 25. And when we do, we've gotten some uh, title names that we're going to run past uh, Ryan and see what he thinks of them uh, before we go. Ahead. And we've got a new format to this segment, and we'll get to that as well. In the meantime, you're going to see something. Uh, well, no, you're not because it's off your screen. All right, so let's first, let's go to the aforementioned Ryan Scott. Joins us live via the City of Salem Skype hotline. Sir, hello, hello. Hello. Uh, good to see you. I got to see you again yesterday. We're running to each other more often on the road, which is nice. Uh, let, let's just get to it. 
that was that ended up being better than I expected. I think at the Palestra, and maybe the games helped, but that was a cool experience yesterday with the Centennial at the Palestra. Yeah, I mean, you weren't you, you didn't really know what to expect in terms of how many people would they be able to get out. Um, the Palestra is a really unique venue. They've probably got nine thousand seats in that place. Yeah, but a thousand people can sound like it's full enough. You know, you don't you don't need anyone in that upper section. Um, to make it feel intimate and full and lively. And um, we didn't know what to expect out of the games, but they were, you know, four out of the five were, were pretty interesting right down to the end, which is, you know, about what you can hope for. Yeah. Um, the, the sound rises in the plus It's like that old school thing. I remember listening to the PA announcer as a, as a PA announcer myself. I, I didn't get a chance to truly listen to him, but I got a chance to pick out parts, especially introductions. And his sound normally just rises up. It echoes in the upper parts of the palestra, and it has that old reverb feel to it. Um, it was really kind of quintessential basketball back in the day. Um, and I know those in Philadelphia are like, yeah, 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 we, we know. It's the palestra. But for, for, for those like myself who've never been, uh, for someone like Gordon who had been but never called a game on the, home, on the floor, or to any of those teams, never getting a chance to play there, that, that, that was a great opportunity. Yeah, and I think we should give a shout out to their. I, th- I think that I assume that's a UPenn PA announcer, but he did yeah. all five games and all the announcements between games and during halftime, straight through the whole day. That was pretty amazing. Yeah, it was a full UPenn staff for uh, for the most part for live stats. I think they brought in some extra assistance, and we saw, for example, our good friend James Wags Wagner. Um, it was a UPenn video stream crew. The only thing that we did was call the games for them. They did all the video production. Um, they they manned the fort as a concession stands. They manned the security and they manned all the media stuff and this, this, they ran the clock and the and all of that. It was all UPenn Group and I want to hats off to them because they did a tremendous job themselves. Apparently they had a doubleheader Friday, a doubleheader Saturday, and five games on on Sunday. So they were a little busy. Wow. Uh, it may or may not come back. I've heard it may, but it, the games were fun. When the sun finally set, they could kind of have a little fun with the with the special effects in the building. Uh, and do some lighting stuff. It, it ended up being fun. Of course, that fourth game was insane. Yeah, the double overtime. I mean, that was the highlight. Not only we had, we were sitting just down the row from from Dickinson's pres, president courtside, and she was into <laughs> it and jumping up and yelling the whole time. And uh, I, I got excited. Um, I hadn't seen Washington College yet with this group of sophomores that yeah. they have. Um, really impressive uh, talent that that uh, Aaron Goodman's brought in there and. I'm doubly excited because that's the closest D3 school to my house. So uh, <laughs> next couple of years should be really interesting. Yeah, I, I had um, I, even Connor Flegel, who was calling the game with me, who knows them very well, was like, I haven't seen this from this squad. We're not a, a drive and slash type. Of, I mean, they evolved right in front of Connor's eyes. That's a team I, I hate to I, – I feel like I'm getting a little out on a limb here because I think we've said this in the past and it just hasn't come to fruition. But that's a team that could change the, the look of the centennial here in, in a year or two. This could, well, be, sure. this could be fascinating. And that's – I mean, that's uh, Aaron Goodman's first recruiting class. Yeah. He wasn't hired until May. And, you know, at a centennial school, May is – you're not bringing in any more recruits at that no. point. So, um, this sophomore class is his, is his first group and – they were very impressive, long and quick and uh, good decisions, you know, really, really smart basketball IQ kids out there on the floor. And uh, it's the kind of potential that honestly, I mean, they don't quite have the same size, but it was the kind of potential I saw that first weekend looking at Wittenberg. 
who obviously has a few more seniors on their st- on their their roster and are doing a lot better this year. But the same kind of thing where you're like, wow, in, in a year or two, this is this is going to be a formidable opponent. Yeah, agreed with you. Uh, if they can get their uh, young center to uh, get his feet under him a little bit, uh, they'll have a little bit of presence inside. They've got a lot of really good shooters. They've got a lot of really good uh, slash and drive and, and dish kind of guys. Uh, I, I like what I saw there. Dickinson, they're kind of in a, in, a, in a reshaping mode, as it were, though that three-pointer by Allen in the corner to force the second overtime was ridiculous. Well, and, and Dickinson's problem the last month or so has just been defense. You know, yeah. they've I was voting for them the first couple of weeks in the top 25 because they've got a strong squad, and they're, yes. they're deep and reliable, but they have just not been able to stop anybody the last month or so, and they've taken a bunch of losses. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, now, I will say that for Washington, they lost Porteous uh, to an ankle injury. I hope it's for the short term. But even in the long term, they've got a lot of nice guys there. It was fun. And we, and we even saw some really good women's basketball at the beginning. Um, Gettysburg, um, Ursinus was a battle. And we saw two really good post players go on one-on-one. Gibbons from, from Gettysburg and uh, Corner Kerr. Um, I'm saying that last name wrong. I apologize from Ursinus. Uh, so we saw a little bits and pieces here that really made it a fascinating yep. day. The Ursinus women, they're, they're a very young squad too. Yep. Uh, they had a freshman point guard out there was handling the ball a lot and really confident. And like you said, they you know, post player and, and a, a lot of freshmen and sophomores there as well. So look Good. forward if they can do this again, the Centennial conference, I think is tuning in. Uh, say it says, uh, they said to us on Twitter, it was fun. Wasn't it? It was. It was a lot of fun. It yeah. was really cool, too, when I walked out because I walked out to see a, a – and I'd already walked past Franklin Field. That wasn't it, but it was all bathed in light, and I thought to myself, this is just cool. Yeah, um, and it, it's just a unique experience. I had friends of mine from out in Kansas, and, of course, they're big college basketball fans out there, but just saying how jealous they were that I was yeah. there just in the building and see a game. And Yeah. Um, uh, it, it really is a kind of a bucket list place for people who love college basketball. Yeah. Even my parents, who I, I think they do a lot of things I do, they think are cool. My dad's like, dude, really? That's outstanding. I mean, it, the palestra takes on another level. It is a mecca in, in all of college basketball and uh, pretty darn cool. Pretty darn cool. Um, hey, let's transition to our top 25 uh, chat, which we have started up of late. We've gotten some really cool ideas for a name. Um, uh, Connor right, Flegel, by the way. Matt, what do we got? What do we uh, got? Connor Flegel, by the way, says it was a blast. Uh, one of them comes from Steph, uh, Stephanie. She says, how about top 25 pick and roll? Ooh. Yeah. It's not bad. Like uh, a friend of ours listening in, Sam, who's actually probably not listening live. I think he's actually going to listen to it a little bit later. Uh, but he says, I've been listening the last few weeks. I uh, got some ideas. He heard Ira's great Scott idea. Thinks that's pretty good, but... Uh, one of his ideas is, who do you got, Ryan Scott? Huh? Or who do you got with Ryan Scott? Yeah. It's a nice little, not nice little back and forth. I like it. Um, like it. And then we have an email we like can get we to a little people, bit later. Huh? I just like we have people watching it enough that they're coming up with names for it. Yeah, that's how about that, you know? Uh, or at least our diehards are listening to it. Maybe that's, maybe that's it. Uh, you've come up with some help with the segment, too, I want to point out. And you've come up with what we're going to call the Triple D for now. We'll call it the yeah. deep dive, the dubious, and the debatable. Um, kind of give us a sense for We'll go step by step. Give us a sense of what deep dive and, and what do you mean by that? So what I wanted to do with that, and the Ds, you know, just kind of work themselves out. I like alliteration. But the deep dive was too. hopefully each week that I could make a case for a team that's not receiving any votes at all, which means it also has to be a team that I'm not voting for because yeah. there's a vote. 
if I were, they would be getting votes. So um, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be a top 25 or that I will vote for them. But, you know, making a case for a team that may be flying a little bit under the radar is the deep dive. And then, All right. uh, you know, Dubious is is one of those that feels like maybe the voters as a whole are, are ranking a little bit too high and I'm a little skeptical of. And then debate is one that I, hopefully because you have your blog every week that I can pick one out that maybe you and I would disagree on and we can go back and forth and maybe hash out something. Cool. I like it personally. Um, I'll be I'll be honest. I've been working on it. I don't have a deep dive this week. Uh, I think right. because things are getting convoluted. Um, I had one and then realized there were others who were voting for them. And then I had another and I realized some were voting for them. So I'll let you have the deep dive this week. I'll be a little bit more prepared for next week. But what is your deep dive team this week? Well, the one that I think is is maybe sneaking around is, is Ohio Northern. Okay. Um, out of the OAC, they're eleven and four right now, which is why they're not getting votes. Um, <laughs> but it, it's a strong team. The OAC is a strong conference this year. You know, we've had uh, Marietta is is you know been perennial the last few years, but also Baldwin Wallace and John Carroll getting votes here and there. Uh, Ohio Northern's uh, the fourth team in there. Uh, if you look at who they lost to, they lost at Wash U early in the season by four points, which is a good one. Uh, at John Carroll by six points, you know, in the middle of December. And then they lost that one at Marietta uh, by four points uh, a couple weeks ago. That was the one where they had the power outage. Yeah. And I watched the whole first half up until the power outage, and Ohio <laughs> Northern was definitely dominating that game. They were better. They were playing better. And I don't know if maybe the, you know, four hours off in the middle of the game threw off the momentum or anything, but uh, I think I would take that with a grain of salt. The other one is is sort of an inexplicable Alma loss back in November, but if you look at and this is <laughs> Alma is five and ten right now, but they opened they opened the season at Illinois Wesleyan at Augustana at Elmhurst at Ohio Northern versus Washu versus North Central versus oh. Wheat. <laughs> Jeez, and they went two, thinking two and about five that. through that. Um, so I think they're a little better than the record, uh, and I would excuse that loss. But, um, you know, Ohio Northern beat Baldwin-Wallace this week at Baldwin-Wallace. Uh, they beat Keene State over the holidays at a tournament, which is another team I think is a little under the radar. So, you know, uh, somebody at least to be watching. Uh, they've got two really talented guys, both scoring 20 points per game. Um, and for me, I, I definitely look at the actual play of the team and the makeup almost as much as the records themselves. And this is a team that I would feel confident that could win a game or two or even three in the tournament under the right circumstances. Uh, I did find one. They're getting votes, so it kind of defaults a little bit. Of course, some of them are from me, I think. Did I? No, I did not put them in last week, interestingly enough. Uh, I wanted to wait a little bit longer, and what they did is they went and proved themselves, to me at least initially. Uh, and it's Emory and Henry. Um, I, again, they're getting some seven votes right now, so this may not be fair, but they're 14-1. and one. Some of these are not their fault because some of these teams haven't turned out to be as good. But it kind of, in quote, I, my other kind of add-on to this is Transylvania. Uh, they beat Transylvania, and I like Transylvania this year. I think Transylvania is sneaky good. Their win over Hanover is now being overshadowed by the fact that Hanover has stumbled since. Those seem to be right in themselves. I like Transfer, and as a result, I really like Emory and Henry. And, yes, I talk to their coach, and sometimes that is my way of, of kind of buying into a team. They also have uh, what was a really good loss, in my opinion, to Worcester. Uh, that is their only loss of the season, 77-68. I like the result there. Then they went and dominated Guilford. And I know Guilford's struggling, but I like 
uh, that Guilford could put it together at any point. And then they went and doubled down and beat Virginia Westland. And that was kind of my that was my line. Now I didn't end up voting for them last week because I had all kinds of chaos last week. But they're probably going to end up on my ballot this week. Um, the win over Virginia Wesleyan by six, I, I felt good about. They then beat Roanoke. They then beat Hamden Sydney on the road, which is always tough, even though Hamden Sydney is four and eleven. They do have Lynchburg and Randolph making ahead. But I think Emory and Henry is a team that no one realizes is as good as they are, and it's probably because their conference is struggling. To be blunt. Um, yeah. They're not as good as they were, but I think Emory and Henry is a program that I think they're doing really well there, and 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 they are getting seven votes in the top twenty-five. I think they should be getting more. They certainly will get more from me, um, but that would be my deep dive. Though I know they're getting some vote votes there, so it technically doesn't count. Um, sure. Let's slide over to our uh, dubious. I'll let you go, and then I, I'll I'll definitely jump in on this with trying not to repeat myself. <laughs> Yeah, so this one kind of pains me a little bit because I was kind of on the bandwagon at the start of the, of the year, but I, I am a little head-scratchy about why we still have Williams so high up on the on the top 25. I, I've um, had them all over the place, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, all over the place. Collectively, they're still way up in the top five. Yeah. Um, and, you know, coming into the season, they were a Final Four team last year. They were bringing almost everybody back, um, looking really good. Certainly every reason to have them high at the beginning of the year. Started out without a whole lot of challenging competition, and they did perfectly fine. Um, and then we lost Kyle Scadlock for the year, injury. Uh, their best player, one of the more talented guys, versatile. Um, they lost that overtime to Wesleyan, which, in retrospect, not so bad. Wesleyan's a pretty solid team. Um, but it just watching some of these games hasn't felt like they've put together the chemistry yet. And, of course, they can, they can maybe save that and by the end of the season come around again. Lost at Hamline. Well, it's a tournament in California, two points. Um, you know, you can sort of forgive that. But at the same time, you know, if you're a top five team, you probably shouldn't lose that game. Um, and then this weekend losing uh, to Tufts, who we all know is better than their record. But still, again, if you're a top five squad, um, not a game you should be losing. And the other part of that is you know, they've done two games against Wesleyan so far. They split them, both overtime games. But other than that, Tufts is the best NESCAC team they have played so far, and they lost that game, which makes me a little dubious, and that's why they're here. Yep. No, I, I'm with you there. Uh, I, I feel like I'm going to be a little repetitive here with this one. It's going to be for me. Uh, I've got an interesting one later, but uh, I wanna, I'll want i go with Lycoming for now. Um, one loss, I get it. They're 16-1, and one, but if you break down their record, who have they really played? Medgar Evers four and ten, Oyana eight and two, Susquehanna five and nine, Penn College one and thirteen. Okay, they got a win over Messiah, but it's about a five hundred ten and six squad. Hood six and eight, Alvernia eight and eight, Widener eight and seven, five and nines, eight and six, four and ten, four and ten, one and, eleven and five, but they lost that game. That was eleven in Valley, ten and six, Stevenson eleven four, Albright. Albright maybe a little overrated. I'm not putting much into a one point win where they had to come from behind to do it. Arcadia, I I, I think, listen, Lyco may have a good team. I'm not trying to take that away from them. Uh, but 12th in the country feels a little high to me. Uh, I know they were even higher than that. They were up to six, weren't they, before they took the loss to Lebval? Uh, I feel like that's a jump on a team because they're undefeated and we're going to keep riding the train until they aren't type of decision. I I'm just a little nervous. I've also, I know they got some good players, but they, they don't have a resume that, never, that tells me they're a top 15 team. Um, as a side note, I'm a little nervous about York being a little dubious, too. I saw them on Saturday. I have them at six. I don't like it anymore. I like them 
got a lot of good parts, but I've seen a lot of good teams this year in person. York might be a little high. Um, so eh. maybe this is this is a good spot to just talk a little bit about the rationale people use in choosing and sure. ranking teams. Sure. Right. So there's a couple of ways you can go. One of them is just to look at the teams out there and say who's the most talented team on the best night they could beat anybody. Sure. You know, and, and there you're looking for potential and talent and and uh, that's one way to go at it. Another one is to say, you know, if you're gonna win this tournament, you gotta be consistent and at a high level for six games over three weekends. Um, you know, who's gonna be the team that plays at the highest level the most consistently? Um, and then the other one is just to look at how teams are playing in the moment and say, right now, this team is really hot and we're going to rank them up there. And I, I think, you know, Lycoming is one of those that I think their ceiling is very high, mm -hmm. but they also play a style that is difficult to play consistently. You know, they rely on speed and athleticism. Yeah. And it's one of those things that if you're going a hundred percent, it can be devastating. If you're going 90%, you can lose a lot of games. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you there. Uh, I could go with a couple others, but I'm going to save one for Sunday for sure. I want to see where the voters put them for starters this week, um, and then we can come back to it. But that, I kind of like that segment because uh, I think this year with, with parity, these answers could be all over the board. Well, um, and that's, that's how I feel with York. You know, I, yeah. I don't think York is, is like a super, you know, high-level, no. talented team, but they've got solid bigs yes. and they've got solid guards. And that's the kind of team you could see making a run because yeah. they don't make a lot of errors. Yeah, I, I've got them six last week. I'm going to move them down. And it's not because I'm, I'm, I'm blown away by Wittenberg, what they did with Worcester. Um, so I have Wittenberg behind York. Wittenberg's going to move ahead of them. I'm pretty impressed with what St. John's continues to do uh, in that conference. I may move them ahead of York despite the fact St. John's has a loss. Whitewater and the rest of the WIAC have got me completely confused. So York's going to stay in my top 10. They're just going to come down a couple notches as I kind of just reevaluate them with some other teams. But you're right. They've got the type of team and the, and the type of things to, to make a run. They didn't play well against Christopher Newport. They were sporadic. They were inconsistent. Um, that may be more aligned with what Christopher Newport was forcing them into. It was also a huge crowd. At York, I think the hype has arrived, and I think they're now dealing with that spotlight to some degree. That said, they got a good win not playing their best against a scrappy and difficult Christopher Newport squad, which I said earlier, by the way, I didn't notice McFarlane. I didn't notice Femi. Those guys combined for very few points. Um, McFarlane was 2 of 14 at one point in the game. Late, he may have taken another shot or two. It, they're not as great as they used to be, but they're still tough. And so I also think York, York. York has done a great job all year of shutting down the best weapons on the opposing team. That's true. Yes, that um, is true. They did. That's how they beat Swarthmore. They got all those bigs into foul trouble. Yep. Um, and and they they seem to know and focus in on what they have to do to shut down the other team, which is very devastating come March as well. Um. All right. So let's talk about uh, the debate. This is one that uh, you and I don't necessarily agree on. The irony is I have a feeling that we're going to be some of these where one of us is just going to pick the counter argument just to make sure it's a debate because we also agree on so much. But uh, you go ahead. You get this one this week. I don't think it's going to be as much of a debate as you think it is, but go for it. And maybe I'll well, make I'm it gonna one. Claim, I'm going to claim responsibility for part of that because I've been pushing so hard that Swarthmore is one of the top teams in the country. Uh, I... Uh, have had them in my top five all yeah. season. I did drop them down to 10 this week with the loss uh, to FNM. 
Um, but I want to talk a little bit more about that as well. What are, what are your thoughts now that you've started voting for Swarthmore? Yeah, so I entered yeah. Swarthmore into the ballot last week at 22, completely forgetting the fact I was going to see them on Tuesday. Uh, I saw them at McDaniel. Listen, I'll say this much. Okay, I, they should have been in my top 25 sooner. I, 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 their resume didn't blow me away, to be blunt. And a, York, a loss to a York squad I wasn't sure of didn't help me. Um, so I wasn't sure what to make. I also know what they lost from last year's team, and I just didn't know if they could make up for it. Wiley's a great player, but it's not all about Wiley. And, and you can shut down Wiley, and I think McDaniel actually did a decent job against Wiley uh, on Tuesday night. But they've got other weapons. But, you know, they got a win over Albertus Magnus, but Albertus Magnus that now doesn't seem as great as I thought they were. Uh, they have a win over Dickinson. Again, not a squad that is as good as I thought they were. The loss to York is of note. Uh, and so I, and then they beat Middlebury, but that was in that stretch where Middlebury <laughs> didn't look like they could beat anybody. So I really yep. didn't know what to make of Swarthmore. Now I've seen them, and we'll get into the F&M game after that. Listen, really good inside in, uh, size inside, not deep inside. They've got good players coming off the bench, but not with the same size. That's where I find them a little susceptible. Um, did you lose me, Ryan? Right. No, I'm here. Oh, good. Um, and so that, you yeah, had a look people- like Mia Smith had earlier that maybe we lost our connection with her. <laughs> So they've got good size inside. They can go deep. They can go 10, 11 guys. They just take a drop-off in terms of size. Their guard play is is pretty solid. Um, I don't know who's going to be on the floor at any given time. I think that's my only oddity with them is I, I can't trust who I'm going to see on the floor and how they play off of each other. But I like what I saw. From everything I've seen this season, and obviously you, everyone knows I've seen Whitman, I've seen Ohio Wesley in person. You know, I've seen a lot of good teams. Swarthmore is in the top 25 conversation, but I cannot put them 10 um, in the top 10 right now, especially coming off that loss with F&M. And they weren't even going to get in my top 10 with a win over F&M. Yeah. So I understand that. I also uh, I recognize that there is certainly, as we saw with Franklin and Marshall this weekend, when they don't play well, it is not well. Right. Uh, if you look at that box score, they committed 25 turnovers, yeah. 30 personal fouls. They only shot six of 22 from the field. Clearly, their their worst game of the year. I can't imagine them playing a whole lot worse. They still only lost by six at FNM, which is right. a very difficult place to play. Um, what what I like uh, the two sophomore bigs, Zach O'Dell and Nate Schaefer are really fundamentally sound guys and and at a young age very disciplined. That's the that's been the the biggest weakness. What York exploited, there's three big guys on this team and that's it. So if you get two of them in foul trouble, you know, you can you can do a lot of damage. However, those three big guys are generally very disciplined. You know, uh, even against bigger players, they they're good at keeping the hands straight up and and uh you keeping the feet moving and doing what they need to do to, to make that work. So again, you know, this is a year where <laughs> who knows who's good and who isn't somebody can lose by 40 points one night and win by 40 the next. So, um, I've still got a lot of confidence in them and, and, uh, hopefully they'll, they'll keep proving me right. Cause I've sort of put my foot in my mouth if it doesn't work out. Yeah. I mean, you kind of hit it at it. The, the, uh, the, uh, unforced turnovers was, is, is, was ugly. Uh, F and M they're a good team. I don't think they're a great team. Um, yep. And if Swarthmore is going to take control and be a, a dominant team, as as you kind of hint at it being a top 10, then they needed to dispatch F&M on the road. And I said that earlier about New Jersey City at Ramapo, and I said that earlier about some other schools. That's a game they need. Now, it's a third of three of the week. I get that. But to some degree, that's part of the test. 
Um, and, and I like parts. I do like parts of Swarthmore. I was impressed with parts that I saw out there. But at the same time, I mean, they destroyed McDaniel, so it's a little unfair for me, too, because I, you know, how much... But they're still going 10-11 deep. Yep. They do take a size off when they lose, uh, what's his name, at center. They lose some size inside. They still have some, but even their catch coach is like, I need more size. Um, yep. So that makes me worried. And if Wiley has a night where he just wants to do it himself, and he's not prototypically like that, then nobody else knows what to do. So I'm a little nervous. I, I would say with the win, I was probably going to move him into the 15 to 20 range. With the loss, i got to debate it. I could have misread them and maybe moved them there still, and maybe they would have moved higher with a win. But, I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not willing to go top 10 right now. But, yeah, who knows? Uh, well, time will tell. Maybe they can use that game as, as something else. Um, quick other hit that you may have before we let you go, because, uh, unfortunately, I see the clock has hit 4 o'clock, and I promised my family I would do something today, and I, I need to get to that. But in the meantime, I know there's a couple of other things you wanted to bring up. Um, yeah, I, I um, was wondering, we addressed the question of what we do with a team that has an injury that we're not sure is a season-ending injury. What? Do, how do you approach a team? I was thinking specifically of Nichols. Yeah. Nichols is a team from a lower conference that's had some success the last couple years, really strong individual talents. They took an overtime loss last week that was not – great but they did it without their point guard who's now missed five or six games i don't think we have word whether he's coming back or not but how do you handle a team like that yeah those are that's a tough one i've liked Nichols. i've had him in my top 25 for all but one week i think this year uh i've liked him because of their point guard and and one of their other guys that i think are are some of the best in new england uh here's how i've usually done it and this is kind of what i'm doing with with williams though to an uh, to a different degree i'll knock him for the loss and i'll consider in my head okay they don't have him so they're not as good as I think they are, but they're still a you know X team, and he comes back and they're right back in this conversation. The more he misses, though, the less I give him credit, and so I start thinking to myself, listen, A, he's out. I don't think they're as good without him. B, they're showing they're he's not they're not as good possibly. Yep. I don't know for sure. And C, if he's out for the rest of the season, they're going to have to prove to me they're at this level without him. Does that make any sense? I don't know if I'm going convoluted there, but I, in my no. case, I'm probably dropping nickels from my top 25. Sure. And, and, and that's a perfectly fine spot, you know, and they're one of those teams that's sort of on the knife's edge that they need all the talent they've got. Cause they don't run super deep. So right. if they're missing one of those guys, uh, it's going to show. And, and, uh, a lot like Lycoming, you know, if, yeah. if they're at a hundred percent, they're great. If they're at 90%, it could be dicey. So well, in, in Williams's case, I dropped him, I think, to 11th. I'm seeing if I can look back. I am the ninth yeah. because Skadlov wasn't there. And I'm thinking, okay, you're going to have to find things. Now, I know you've got more than Skadlov, so I'm going to knock you down because you're not as good as I think you are, and then you can prove to me you are better than I am, and I'll move you back up. Well, of course, last week they go and win two, including Wesleyan, and with everything else going on, I blew up my ballot. I moved them back up to fourth. Now I'm willing to move him right back into the 10 to 15 slot because, you know, it's that this year. Um, but there was a case where, exa- I mean, I think I moved Williams down on my ballot three weeks in a row and they had only lost one game. And it was because I'm looking, no scad love, I'm looking at the games. I don't like the results. I don't see someone stepping up and they're losing, they're losing um, viability to me of being as good as I thought they were. Yeah, and that's, I mean, we've had the debate on the the message boards, on the top 25 board. It's Williams and Whitworth are the two that the eye test has really come into play. They've both lost 
key, probably their best players to season-ending yeah. injuries. Yeah. And while they're still strong, talented teams, and I would not put any win past either of them, um, they're not looking great at the moment. Yeah. And, you know, uh, without this sort of uh, return of their best player, you know, I've got a lot of questions about what they're going to be. And I've had the same thought with Augustana with w missing Warford. You know, at first my thought was no big deal. They lost him last year. And they went all the way to the championship game. But the problem was they had a guy inside who was a senior last year who picked up that slack. He's not here there this year. And I'm not exactly seeing from Augustana that they figured out the Warford conversation. And I've had him stuck at number two because I've had nowhere else to put him because i got to put someone at number two. This week yep. they will not be. You know, last week I thought about putting Wash U ahead of him, but Augustana had beaten Wash U. Well, now Augustana has more losses than Wash U. That is less of a factor for me. So I'm going to downgrade Augustana, but I've had the same thought with them. Warford's not there. How much is this going to impact them on offense? They lost to Wheaton. They went one and one this week. They now lost, what, two games in two weeks. I'm going to start bringing them back. And that's a different one where I gave them credit because in the past they did well without with that injury, or in this case, Warford left last year for, for other reasons. This year it's different, and now i got to change my penny. So it literally depends on the team. Well, yeah, and that's the that's the one when you're when you're debating. If I'm just picking one team that say you get this team on their best possible night, I may still put Augustana as the best team in the country because that talent True. is incredible. True. But they have they have not been playing up to what we saw yeah. uh, towards the end of last year and and what we were expecting out of this year. And at some point, that's got to weigh in. And I think this week for you and me especially, but I think a number of, of voters, this is the week where they they start to drop down unless they prove something. Well, and another example of this, for example, if Ohio Wesleyan all of a sudden lost Nate Axelrod for the season, I'm no longer high on them. They've got good players, but Axelrod's the juice. Yeah. You know, and so it, it all, that's why it all depends on the player to me. Um, so fascinating. Nice little topic there. Uh, I said at the beginning of the show, you don't have to indicate anything to me, but I know Skidmore's coming off my top 25 for sure. Uh, Nichols will be coming out. We just announced that. They're going to come off my top 25. Uh, St. Norbert's going to come out of my top 25 this week. There may be others. I haven't fully gone through it. Um, but uh, those three at least are going to take a hit. So that means three new teams like Emory and Henry, for me, will probably enter the top 25. But there's a lot of work to do. And we should point out, Ryan, I think, saw this. Uh, the top 25 won't come out until later this evening. It usually comes out in about two, in the next two hours. But it'll actually be in the next five hours before we see it. Just due to a... Snafu behind the scenes, but uh, we'll get cleared up. But uh, just a little delay this week. Yeah, and and uh, I was sort of lucky and unlucky in that all the losses happened to teams that were sort of between five and fifteen for me. So I only had two that dropped off my ballot this week, but a lot of movement with teams going up and down and having to refigure things and a lot of big games this week. So I think I may blow it up one more time next week. But yeah, my um, problem is I have three losses in my top five. I then have no losses six through ten. I have uh, two or three more. Lo I have three more losses in my ten to fourteen, or actually ten to fifteen. I've got four more losses. It's it's that's my problem. Is I got them in patches in odd places. <laughs> they aren't, you know, in a spot where I can adjust accordingly. But we'll see. By the way, real quick thought, Hamilton. How about a good weekend from them? Yeah. So I was real down on Hamilton, and now I'm very confused. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. They are proven on the court that they are better than I thought they were. Yes, but I'm still not. Sure, they're as good as, as everybody else thinks yeah, they are. So <laughs> yes, and to be honest, a Wesleyan kind of goes against Hamilton because 
I got I started getting high on Wesleyan because of how they were doing, and now they've taken some losses. I'm just waiting for Hamilton to do the same darn thing. I'm going to jump on that bandwagon. Then I'm going to ride them, and then they're going to take a couple losses. I'm going to be sitting there going, why they do that? Why yeah, they I do had, that? I had Wesleyan about five spots ahead of Hamilton, so now I've kind of brought them down and, and switched that around. And then I look at it, and I go, but I still think Middlebury's better than both of these teams. That's the other thing. You know? I've got Middlebury sitting in my 25 hole because they lost three of five games. And I'm thinking to myself, come on, you're not playing like a top 25 team. But I really think they're better than everybody else. But I can't put them there right now. Yeah, I've got all three of those sitting right on top of each other. Middlebury, Hamilton, Wesleyan, and a nice chunk right on my top. <laughs> it's a Nescaq sandwich for you in your top yeah. 25. Hey, Ryan, I got to go. Thanks so much. This was fun. Uh, we'll keep polishing it up and do it on Sunday. Maybe by that point we come up with a good title. There was one other that got tweeted to us or emailed to Oh, no, it was on uh, Twitter. They said, how about the rundown? Eh, that's not bad either. Yeah, I like pick and roll a lot. Pick yeah, and roll. Pick and roll's not that's bad. My, that's my choice if we're voting. All right. We'll talk about that one off air. Thanks, Ryan. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. All right. See you. Ryan Scott joining us on the City of Salem's Hoopsville hot, uh, Sky Pipeline. Appreciate him taking the time to do that. We're going to sign off from that. We're not even taking a break. I got to get going. I did make a promise to the family that I would be doing something, and I have got to get going. Um, we'll be back on the air Thursday, 7 o'clock Eastern time, and then back on the air Sunday, 7 o'clock Eastern time. As well, of course, Thursday, we will concentrate primarily on the East, Mid-Atlantic, uh, um, Great Lakes, and West regions. And then, of course, Sunday, primarily on the Northeast, Atlantic, South, and Central regions. If you got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com, or join us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. If you're listening to this live, looking forward to seeing the uh, podcast later. It will be a little bit delayed, but we will get that out this evening. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the show uh, on this special Monday edition. We appreciate you taking the time to join us. Hope uh, we'll try this a couple more times this week at, or this season as well, but don't forget, back to our normal schedule for the for the next few shows, 7 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, thanks to the WBCA NABC for their help and, of course, D3Hoops.com for their support. Also want to thank our guest today, Mia Smith from Illinois Wesley, and, of course, want to thank their sports information staff and the technical staff to help uh, Coach Smith get back up on Skype. And I also want to thank uh, Tony Wingen, the head coach at, at Carnegie Mellon, and the sports information staff at that school as well, and, of course, the NABC for their support of the Coach's Corner and Charlie Brock for the, his efforts as well. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We will see you again on Thursday evening. Good night, everybody.